Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of comics from every publisher and time period, along with action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. We reference the television series Smallville a lot around here, and there's one Smallville rewatch podcast that's always at the top of my queue. Always Hold On to Smallville, hosted by our pal, Zach Moore. Zach and his guests bring tremendous insight, passion, and humor as they discuss each and every episode of the series that ushered in the renaissance of superhero TV. Listen to Always Hold On to Smallville wherever you get podcasts, and keep an eye out for the other shows under the Always Hold On to banner, including Arrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Superman and Lois, and Star Wars. Zach, before we get into our discussion about Krypton Season 1, we have to note the fact that we're recording this on the same day news broke that the upcoming fourth season of the CW Superman and Lois will be its final one. Thoughts? I thought we knew this already. I, I just, I just understood. I thought it was understood that that was going to be it. Uh, I mean, they didn't say for its fourth and final season when they renewed it with the 10 episodes, but when you cut the cast down to a third and you cut the episodes more or less in half, the writing's on the wall and I, I, I'm not, I'm disappointed that it's like official, but I'm not surprised. I had a similar reaction <laughs> as you and more than anything, I'm just glad that everyone, the people making the show and the fans watching the show can all go into it knowing that it's the final season. Because mm-hmm. look, the risk, the fear with any of these shows is that it'll end on a cliffhanger. Now, I do still stand by my, stand by my position that if season three had been the final one, that Rocky three-esque finish <laughs> would have worked. But yeah. I'm glad we get we actually get a proper uh, farewell. And yes, in an ideal world, it'd be great if the show ran for 10 seasons like our favorite mm. Smallville. But it's just, that's not the that's not the reality that we're in these days. No, no I uh, was talking to some friends in a chat after that news break and broken. They were like, where would you rank Superman Lois in the Superman TV shows? And I was like... It's hard to say because even though it's going to be four seasons, it's like, what, like 50 episodes, which I know sounds like a lot, 50 episodes, right? A lot of shows would love to have 50 episodes. Krypton would love to have 50 episodes. We'll get into that. But I mean, Smallville 218, Lois and Clark, I think was like in the high 80s. Um, the Superboy show, over 100 episodes. I I think the George Reeves show had 100 episodes. Just over, know? just over, yeah. So, and I know those are half hour, but still, those are those are episodes. So to have something be fifty episodes, and then it's so it's not over yet. So how does season four go? So it's hard to say. But it's definitely been one of my favorite pieces of Superman media, and I've really really enjoyed it. So I I am gonna miss it when it's gone. Same, same. And look, well, you'll you'll continue covering each episode on Always yes. Hold On to Superman and Lois, and here on Digging for Kryptonite, we'll do what we've been doing. We'll do an episode on the entire season when it's done. I guess. The last thing I wanted to ask you in our little cold open here before we get into mm-hmm. Krypton, we are here talking about Krypton, another super, another recent Superman show that ended prematurely. This one only ran yeah. two seasons. Superman and Lois now just got four. And we're seeing, just with television shows generally, seasons are shorter and series do not run nearly as long as they used to for a variety of factors. But I guess my question is, the audience knows like Smallville was so <laughs> formative for both of us. And I think we recognize part of the reason why that was, was that we, we lived with it and in that world for so long. 
So I don't know. Do you think in this current television landscape, there's the possibility of a show having even close to the same kind of impact on you, given that it's almost certainly not going to have that kind of, of tenure? Mm. No, I don't think there is. Like, I, I just think it's like you said, like we've said too, when you with something in and out, you know, for, for 10 years and also the reliability of when it comes out, you know, a whole thing with Superman Lois is like, when is the show coming out? When is it on breaks? When is it, why does it take six months to show 15 episodes? You know, uh, that was the whole thing. And, um, just Smallville, you knew every fall, right? The show was going to start and you knew every May is you're going to have a big season finale. And then you know that there's going to be a summer break for three months and you're going to come back. And that consistency is key, you know? And I know we're older now and we're not the teenagers we were when the show came out. We have real life responsibilities. So nothing is going to like imprint itself on us in such a strong way. But, but even you look at all the big shows, you know, like the game of Thrones or the breaking bads or whatever. And, um, even them, they they like they have their prequel spinoffs. Both of them, both of those particular shows did, and, and that keeps them relevant. But when those are over, I mean, it's going to be a they'll be important footnotes, right? And like, oh yeah, or Mad Men or whatever, right? Um, but to have that just just baked into your everyday life fandom, it's just it's just not the same. It's just not the same. No, I agree. I feel the same, and yeah, and it's a little bittersweet. Right. The fact that we likely won't have that kind of television viewing experience. But I'm so glad that we had it at the time. And it clearly still means a lot to us. us The people we are today. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. All right. Hey, I'm proud of us. I said off mic, I was like, this little cold open could turn into like a half hour segment of Mm. the show. We did great. All right. On that note, let's get into our episode. Before the rocket carrying Krypton's last hope, before the kindly couple, Before the great metropolitan newspaper, there was the world that gave birth to the universe's greatest hero. Now, in Doomed Planet, we consider Krypton's history, legacy, and destruction, and the part of it that survived. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss sci-fi's Krypton Season 1 is the host of Always Hold On to Smallville, returning guest, Zach Moore. Welcome back. You know, Anthony, I am tired of these Superman prequel shows. You know, can we just... <laughs> this is why you were the perfect person to have. But listen, I got to say, there's so much to unpack. But I was curious. I did a little digging on social media because I was wondering, what were people saying about this? Not even when it aired, but when it was first announced. And I came across this one social media post that reads, well... Now, this just seems unnecessary, and that's coming from someone who watched and loved 10 seasons of Smallville, and the young whippersnapper who wrote that, me. Mm. That was my initial reaction to this. So we'll break it all down, we'll set up the show, we'll go through all of that, but on this note of prequels and the announcement of the show, which was in 2014, crazy enough, and the show didn't air until 2018, but when this was announced, just a few years after Smallville ended, what was your reaction? Uh, it was like a parody of itself. I, I think I'd even seen a, a funny video on the internet somewhere. They're like, like, oh, coming soon, Krypton, before it blew up, right? Making fun of Gotham and Smallville and all these prequel shows. And I was right there with them. I was like, what? This is unnecessary. I mean, can we stop having TV shows about the superheroes that aren't about the superheroes? Um, it may be counterintuitive. I do not classify Smallville as one of those because Clark Kent was the main character. It's a little different. 
than like a than a Birds of Prey or a Batwoman or a Gotham or, or however you want to cut it with all these Batman shows where there's no Batman. Uh, but then this is it, we and all we knew as far as I knew, like it was a prequel show set on Krypton. We didn't know the plot. We didn't know. I mean, over time, things that you know, came out about it and it turned into to very much beyond that. And even even now, I think had it just been that I might not have liked it as much. But it as it turned out, it was much more than that, um, which which is great. Now, I know there's a lot of comic book mythology about Krypton and, and whatnot. So there's a lot of there there's some precedent for something like this. Uh, but in, you know. 2014, as you said, you know, Mad at Steel had just came out, and Smallville ended a couple years before, and and we didn't know when we were getting a Superman sequel, and and there was no Superman animated series going on, and I was like, can we, can we get some? I was I was craving for that consistent Superman content that had been in my life for ten years, right? I didn't I didn't know if this was gonna scratch that itch, but but boy, was I wrong. Yes, and did you end up watching it as it originally aired? I watched it and I was immediately won over by it. I was like, this is fantastic. This is, uh, this is what you do if you're going to do a show like this. And I, I was very glad that, uh, that I gave it a chance and, uh, and watched both seasons and uh, wish there were more. That's where I am. Well, I'm glad you at least gave it a chance. I stupidly did not. And so for the past few years, this has been one of those gaps in my Superman fandom and kind of an odd one because it is so recent, and even though, look, I've had ebbs and flows in terms of my comic book consumption, and especially during the New 52, I really sat that out, and and then I had to get caught up and all that stuff. But when it comes to the Superman shows and movies, the idea that I would skip one it was kind of crazy to me, but I think, I don't know, just where I was at that point in my life, in my fandom, that initial gut reaction of just like, man, this feels so unnecessary but again, I, I'm, I really regret that, and I'm so glad, and I'm really happy to report, and I don't want to bury the lead, I loved, loved the first season of Krypton. I watched it over the past few days. It's been a very busy time at work. It was hard to kind of fit all of this in so much so. I watched the last two episodes this morning. Like, I was really, <laughs> I was trying to finish it last night after I had done a recording for another episode, and I was like falling asleep, and I was like, I got to save it for the morning. So. Mm-hmm. But all that being said, my my interest and my enthusiasm for it sustained me through this busy time and trying to fit it in. And I have not yet watched season two. I'll be watching that over the next few days, and that'll be part of, or that will be the discussion for next week's episode. But man, I wish I had gotten to it sooner. And I'll just say this. I don't want to oversell it to the audience. I don't want to build this up too much. But for anyone who's listening to this who hasn't watched Krypton, please give it a shot. It is a worthy entry in the Superman canon. I would compare it to use a, a more current analogy. I would call it the the Andor of the Superman shows. Uh, it's 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 sophisticated. It has things to say. It's it looks fantastic. It's it's high budget. Uh, the acting and the writing is is so good, and it just it just really elevates something that you either had no expectation or low expectation going into it. I feel like, and when, you know, talk about all these Star Wars shows that come out, and I'm like, Andor, why is that a thing? And and I think that's the best thing that the Disney has put out with the Star Wars name on. I just think it's a fantastic show. And it just shows that there's there's these little corners and pockets of these universes that that when the acting and writing and, and presentation is so high quality, and, and I can tell the people who made this show really took the material seriously, um, like it makes a big difference. You know, you can win over skeptics. You know, I mean, we're, fans were a skeptical lot, right? Uh, I mean, I was right there with you when I heard about this and and I was immediately won over and uh, and I'm really I'm, I wish there were more seasons, but I'm glad we got the two we did. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to breaking it down with you here. 
No, absolutely. So Krypton aired on Sci-Fi and premiered in March 2018, ultimately ran for two seasons of 10 episodes apiece. And it follows Seg-El, grandfather of Kal-El. And it's set 200 years before the destruction of Krypton. And this is a Krypton sharply divided along class lines. So you have the upper class, the gilded members of society who live in the towers above Kandor City, and then the lower class, the rankless, who are not named and don't have their own houses, uh, so to speak, uh, in the in the city below. So that's our initial setup. It's a Krypton that has become a theocracy ruled by the voice of Rao. And we have a pair of time travelers. We have Adam Strange and then later General Zod. I know I'm jumping ahead a bit. And this is all against the backdrop of the approaching Brainiac ship, the threat of Brainiac. And not just any Brainiac. Hands down, the best live-action Brainiac we have seen ever. Well, it's not like we have a lot to choose from, but it's, there's, no, there's no question. There's no contest. It's, it's fantastic. You have the skull ship. You have the green skin. You have the the robotic. It's 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 amazing, and they accomplish this on television. And that and this is why people are we're still upset that we haven't gotten Brainiac in a movie. Like you're telling me, the Sci Fi Channel original series gave us an on point, fantastic interpretation of this character, and we're still waiting for it on the big screen. And this version could uh, stand up to anything you'd see on the big screen. It's so it's so well done. I think they have set the bar very high. I hope. It's only a matter of time before we see Brainiac on the big screen. We have, we've had multiple iterations of Superman on the big screen, and we continue to get Luther, then Zod, Luther, Zod, then Luther. <laughs> but eventually, I think we'll get Brainiac. But this show, this little, this little two-season sci-fi show, set the bar so high that I hope whenever we do get Brainiac on the big screen, they, they take some cues from what they did uh, on this show. And again, not just the best Brainiac, but truly a top tier Zod. I know for you, mm-hmm. maybe even number one. I, it's very possible. Like, re- So, you know, I watched it back in the day and then I rewatched it for this and I was like, is this going to hold up? I'm like, yes, it hold up. And Colin Selman is so good. Uh, Walter Steele, for your Arrow fans out there, Oliver Queen's father-in-law. Uh, he's a very accomplished actor. He's in a lot of stuff, but you know, as far as like mainstream genre me over here like that's what i know him from also he's in the pierce Brosnan and james bond films in a supporting role so look for him in those in those movies but uh he's just so good and actually i i made a tweet about this and i was like you know after careful consideration i think colin salmon might be the best zod i didn't tag him or anything i just put it out there with a gif of him saying neil before zod and i guess he saw it and retweeted he was like high praise thank you and i'm like all right like the actor he knows that i love this performance so much so that, that kind of that obviously that always puts a smile on your face when that gets recognized and i wasn't even fishing for that it just kind of came out of nowhere and uh, the only thing the only thing that, that would hold him back from being my favorite zod is, is he doesn't face superman like that's a kind of a key component you know and i said i say this all the time i'm always on the small of my show because because there are a lot of zods floating around on that show um we've never got a bad zod every zod is fantastic Terrence stamp is fantastic michael shannon is fantastic calum blue is fantastic con salmon is fantastic uh so we're very fortunate with our zod actors and they're all very different and i think that's a good thing no i, I was thinking the same thing I'm like yeah it's he's he's up there for me but they they all are i mean i think from yeah. 
it's tough. You know, my heart is always with Smallville. And I, I was very pleasantly surprised with Callum Blue when, when he entered the scene. And uh, season nine, and it was a favorite uh, for, for both <laughs> of us. So it, there's a special place for him. I do, I think for me, Michael Shannon is still number one because that was the first time where I really felt like I got the character in a way that I really hadn't before, right? This whole idea that he is, his sole reason for being is the preservation of of Krypton and the Kryptonian race and Superman's actions in that film in particular essentially undermine his entire reason for being. And the fact that that's the reason for that, that hatred, it just, it really kind of clicked in a way that hadn't necessarily before. So he's Mm -hmm. probably my number one, but yeah, there's not a bad one in the bunch. And look, even on the note of Brainiac, look, I love James Marsters in, uh, on Smallville and everything, but yeah, just as far as comics, accurate Brainiac and just, I mean, the visuals, and you said this before, I agree. I mean, the show is just gorgeous. And I was watching, on because I bought the Blu-ray of the complete series, and I watched uh, some of the special features uh, where they you know, take you behind the scenes and, and they show you the sets. And I think what was cool about it was that so much of it was practical. Like most of the sets where they spent so much of their time, the streets uh, of, of Candor City where the Rankless are, and then the, you know, the, the various chambers uh, you know, up above, most of that was practical, but then they would build out the rest of it with CGI and certainly all of the exteriors and, uh, you know, all the aerial shots and everything. But, uh, you know, they had the, I, I guess they had the budget and the artistry to really, really bring it to life. And it was a great blend. Mm-hmm. No, it, and that's part of it. Like very coruscant esque from the Star Wars prequels. And then obviously, so I, I don't know if you want to get into this now, but there's a lot of Man of Steel influence on this show, should we should we talk about this now or? Well, yeah, I mean, let's talk about this. so. Well, like we said, this was first announced in 2014, so just a year after Man of Steel. And uh, David Goyer, who had written Man of Steel, was one of the executive producers on Krypton. And from the outset, and you might know this better than me, I don't. I don't know if this was ever if this was more speculation or officially confirmed. But the idea was that this was a prequel to Man of Steel at the inception point. That was my understanding. Like I don't recall exactly all the, you know, the all the articles and stuff I was reading back then, but it was my understanding that you know, they were building out this new DCEU and this is another branch of that, much like you're going to get the the Penguin show spinning out of the Batman in, in modern times. You were going to get this Krypton show spinning out of Man of Steel. And I was like, "Okay, well that that's I that's great. We're, we're, we're building out this interconnected universe, everything. Everybody was always talking about it. And, and this is it. And, um, obviously David S. Gore was writer on man of steel and, and he had been you know, with Chris Nolan on the, the dark Knight trilogy. So he had that DC, um, you know, legitimacy on his resume and, and clearly <laughs> like it's very influenced by man of steel. Just the, the, well, even like the, the, the class system kind of thing that the, the Genesis Chamber, Codex, like even way past the the pilot, which you know we can talk about a little bit more in detail. But like the pilot was shot, and then kind of reshot and reconfigured, and this show was rethought after the pilot and became something it wasn't originally going to be. And then obviously it's not connected to Man of Steel because you have things like you know Colin Salmon. It's not Michael Shannon as General Zod. That would never would have happened, right? Um, but there was a couple of early trailers that showed some very different, very clearly Man of Steel esque like. Uh, uh, technology and whatnot, which changed a little bit, and again, and it became this 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 merging of as as everything always is the the, the crystals of the Donnerverse and the I don't even know how to describe the technology of the, the Man of Steel universe, but I I I, I like that quite a bit, and it became this merging of things, and and then it just became its own thing, and and honestly, like 
I, I, I guess I'm glad it's its own thing because obviously they couldn't do what they did. It would be, I, there's no way to compare it because obviously the General Zod thing completely throws out it being a true prequel. So I, I can't sit here and say like it's better or worse, but I, I'm so happy with what we got them. I guess I'm glad that all turned out like it did. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, in a world where the DCEU had continued as originally intended and this could have actually been folded in to that in a meaningful way, I mean, maybe that could have worked, but that clearly went off in its own direction. So even if this had, even if they had attempted to make this fit in with that, I don't know what, you know, what would have become of that. And I feel like either way, it probably would have ended up being stifling more than anything else like i don't know that the the benefits would have outweighed you know whatever you know kind of trade-offs they'd have to make in order to fit in with that so i mean i think ultimately the fact that it's its own thing is a positive yeah and and my suspicion is it would have truly been just a straight-up prequel no time travel none of this stuff and they included that that kind of made it not a prequel uh and and that was part of the I mean, th this is all conjecture, but I, I, I can only imagine if it was truly a, a Band of Steel prequel, it just would have been this is the story of what happened on Krypton before it blew up. And that's it. There's no time travel. There's no you know, Phantom Zone alternate universe things, whatever they were talking about there. Uh, and this is what we got. And it's so it's interesting that, you know, you see these first couple trailers, but then even watching the, the episodes themselves, like, you know, Snyder cut. Right. You, you, know, you got an eye for this sort of thing. Right. When things change, I'm like, man. I don't know. Sagal looks maybe a couple years younger in some of these scenes, right? It, was it just me or I see you nodding along? So, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm with you. And the hair too. I mean, there were a few yeah. few things where I'm like, yeah. And yeah, so our, our mutual friend, Tyler Patrick from Krypton Report, and he'll be joining me next week to talk about Krypton season two. Uh, archivist extraordinaire. He had the foresight to download <laughs> and hang on to those first trailers that were released. And he, he shared them with us and, uh, there's a, a sh like a 20 second teaser and then a longer like 90 second uh, trailer and the the trailer in particular again you see that's from the original pilot and you see a number of differences the lyta lyta zod uh for example her look is, is is a bit different in that i mean that's more superficial but uh yeah you definitely see uh more of the visual style of man of steel the key right the kryptonian the, key, the key that he is uses. not the 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 stone the the crystal that it turns out being in, in the show it's it's the legit the, the the necklace that clark has you know the that opens up everything in man of steel and and some other older guy gives it to him yeah it's not the young adam strange who we meet in the actual show no. i don't know if this was meant to be an older adam strange or just a different character entirely Right. Yeah. So that's a key piece of this. And I mentioned this at the top, the time track. Hashtag the release the Krypton cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. We can't go through this again. But <laughs> although I yeah, I don't know. It would be it would I don't know if there's enough I don't know if there's enough support for a true movement, but it would be cool to see what the original uh what the original version of that looked like. But yeah, sort Ooh. of the the jumping off point for this series is that a, a time traveling Adam Strange approaches Seg L and uh, reveals that one of Superman's enemies, we all understand to be Brainiac at this point in the show, has traveled back in time to destroy Krypton at an earlier point, thus preventing the birth of Kal-El and the ultimate, uh, his arrival on Earth and becoming Superman. And again, spoiler alert, folks, but the show's been out for a few years, right? Down the line in this season, we find out it's actually Brainiac is arriving on schedule to bottle the city of Kandor as we all know that to be part of Krypton's history. And it's General Zod 
who has traveled back in time to try to stop this. So we have this whole time travel component, but that does that does add a really interesting dimension to all of this because it gives it this urgency and this this connection point and relevance to to the current day DC universe. So I thought that was a clever a clever take on it. I think everything they did with this was was very clever and add a lot of intrigue. Because, like I said, if they just here's the story of Krypton for blue, like it, it would just be so by the numbers, and you'd be like, oh, here they're gonna. Have a, it adds so much intrigue because you're not even thinking it. Like things you think are plot holes become plot twists because you're like, wait a minute, Adam Strange, like dude, like Krypton's gonna blow up. So what do you? What is your purpose here? Oh, hey, it turns out he knows that he doesn't tell Segel because of course you wouldn't. And then he like, yeah. And then Segel's like, yeah. Wh- why would I help you let my planet blow up when General Zod over here wants to help me? save the planet and they're like oh no it's gonna mess up the timeline like there's so much character intrigue here which i think in lesser hands like it just would have been a by the numbers all the character motivation it, it makes everything so much more interesting all these reveals over the course of the season right it's ve- it is very interesting and i think the the character motivations and dynamics it is it is all very intriguing and alliances shift and motivations shift and there are there are moments of true conflict that really do resonate i mean seg in particular like this is this is quite a dilemma to be put in right it's like (laughs) if you stop brainiac the the idea is brainiac takes candor and that destabilizes the planet's core and that ultimately leads to its destruction but without that we don't have superman we don't have kal-el arrive on earth and become the greatest hero the universe has ever known so it's again it puts seg and all the characters in a in a very difficult position to to make kind of an unfathomable sacrifice for an idea, right? For just this notion mm-hmm. that my descendant becomes this greatest hero. There's, there's such a, remo- uh, you know, uh, removal there that it's, it's uh, you get where the characters are struggling with this. Yeah, it's, it's some like, I don't know, high concept stuff because they even talk about, they try to suss it out themselves. They're like, hey, like, that's great where you're from. My theoretical grandson is like an awesome superhero. But like right now we got billions of people right here I need to save. And I'm going to worry about that. And like, you really can't, it's hard to like pick a side. Like, obviously you like, you want super like, Oh no, we got to save Superman. But then you totally see their point of view. And like, and that's what good shows do. They, these characters all, they all come into conflict because they make organic decisions, you know, that you, that you disagree with some of them, but you understand like all the stuff the odds do. Like I get it. Yeah. I also, I have to say when they first announced this again, like I've talked about, I was skeptical from the jump. And I also, I remember, not really being sold on the idea of focusing on Superman's grandfather 200 years before. Okay. And I remember thoughts on this. Yes. And I remember saying, well, they should, it should be about Jor-El and Zod and the doomed friendship. Cause of course, what do I have in my head? I have 10 years of Smallville. So like, mm-hmm. that's what, I, but I don't think that would have served this well. I think this was the right way to go. No, that's exactly what I want to bring up. Like, I think it's so clever that it's about the grandfather. Cause if they do this with Jorel, I've been like, guys, like, uh, like it's universe shrinking. It's kind of redundant. It's like, um, way too like, Oh, his dad went through all this. And then, you know, it's like, no, but your grandfather, you kind of remove it a generation. It kind of opens up a lot of story possibilities for you. that don't like, none of this is because they removed it from man of steel. None of this in Canon with anything else, but we all kind of know the Superman story. And if Jorel would do certain things, I don't like if you went to earth, like that's a stupid idea. <laughs> so, um, if you start doing things like that, you're like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't fit the myth. But now it's just, it's, it opens up the universe for way more story possibilities. And, um, 
And so 200, I, I, I want to bring this up. Let's, let's get into this now. The timeline, 200 years. Do, do Kryptonians live to like 100 years or something? I don't, because because Jor-El um, uh, presumably is the one in the Genesis chamber that whatever, whatever, right? So what is he? He's, he's, he's 200 years old when Krypton goes. Zod, like he's conceived now. So he's too, like, what are your thoughts on that? I know I was, <laughs> I didn't dwell on that, but the thought crossed my mind. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I guess, I guess their life cycles are different. I don't know. I, unless there's, unless, and I haven't seen season two yet, but I'm assuming this is not accounted for there. I mean, unless they were, there was some plan to account, maybe there's, uh, their planets in stasis at a certain point. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a, I don't know, maybe so. Um, the cycles, maybe the cycles are different. Maybe years are different. Kryptonian years. I mean, it's just strange that they keep, they keep hammering that exact year you know, again and again and again. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, that means Jarrell and Zod are 200 years old. And <laughs> Krypton blows up, which I know some Jarrell's a little older looking, but uh, they're not that old. But uh, anyway, that, that's that, that's something that I don't think they ever really account for. But you can just say, like, eh, it's alien stuff. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> look, as far as how Kryptonians age, you know better than anybody on Smallville. Look at look at the look at the transformation that Jor El underwent from his walkabout on Earth <laughs> to Krypton's destruction <laughs> a few years later. Six years later, <laughs> twenty years before. It's oh my goodness! He it, went it's from something Tom else. Welling to Julian Sands. Rest in peace. Yeah. In a very short amount of time. So who's to say, really? But right. no, I think the two hundred years bit aging aging questions aside i think yeah that gives them some room right because mm-hmm. that's far enough removed where you know it's it's a period of history we're not as familiar with and they can take some liberties and it's not right. it doesn't have to line up so neatly the other thing too is and i, I we, we hit on this right but we've seen a lot with jorel right even in man of steel you know that opening sequence there and it's great it was it was one of the first times i really connected with the krypton piece of the origin story right even going back to the Donner movie, I mean, it's it's iconic. I, I I enjoy that piece of it, but it's always like I want to get to Smallville. That's when the story like I get more invested in it. Uh, but the man watching Man is like that was one of the first times where I felt okay. I'm really kind of on board with this part of the story. Mm. So I think and that primed me a little bit, you know, for this. Even though again, I didn't watch it at the time, but uh, but so again, I think the 200 years it gives you gives you more room and it opens up the whole idea of the of the House of L. Right. And over the years on the show, we've talked about various Elseworlds stories, things like Red Sun and, and, you know, take your pick. And I think one of the things that I've I've been kind of sorting out as we've been going through those stories, like what is what is appealing about the Elseworlds stories other than just you get to see the character in an unfamiliar situation. And what I've come to is that if you take away the the upbringing with the Kents, right, it's like, well, what what's left? And I think that's why I kind of always had a little bit, I always hit a little bit of a wall with the Elseworld stories. Cause it's like, well, of course, if he's not raised by the Kents, he's going to be different if he lands in Soviet Russia. Right. But what I came to is like, well, if you take that away, then it's like, well, who is he at his core? Right. And so I, I think the idea of just kind of tracing back that lineage and getting more of a sense of, of his ancestors, the people who came before, what they were like, what they were about. I mean, Val L, Seg's grandfather, right, gives him this whole speech towards the end of the season about how how the the House of L, they weren't given that sigil, which means hope. They chose it, right? And they and they instill hope, not through their words, but through action. Right. And I so just kind of this idea that like the family was about something. And 
yeah. to whatever extent that's ingrained at a, at a cellular level into, into Kal-El. I like that. Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, a.k.a. my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have kids and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit allyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me now. Aw Yeah! Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. With more than 40 years and a new second location to its name, Acme is a multiple-time Eisner Award nominee. The shop features a significant contemporary and vintage selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. I, I did like the On My World Means Hope has become kind of a meme in recent years. I mean, different versions of Superman State, Supergirls, you know, they, they all have their own versions. And I don't, I feel like maybe this is my favorite explanation you sit down and talk about it because it's it has some substance to it you know the the uh and it's that's kind of ties but that's one thing you can still see left over from being connected to man of steel is that all the houses have the like the same shape with a different symbol in it um all the other versions of superman like look superman the movie it's all a bunch of weird shapes and superman just happened to be an s this is like okay we have that that, that pentagon you know and then here's you get the S and you get this weird symbol and stuff and the Zod symbol as we see later on. Um I guess they just decided, well, we shot enough stuff. We can <laughs> we, we we can't reshoot every scene and every costume. We'll leave it be. Uh but no, I I liked I really did like that explanation. I really connected to his connection to the, the grandfather, right? Because like uh a lot about fathers and sons and you know, the smallville, of course, and whatnot. But even here, you see, and not that his, and he was so close to his parents. And I actually, I forgot. I'm like, what happened to his parents anyway? And then after I watched the first episode, I'm like, oh, that's what happened to his parents. And um, that's your classic, you know, hero's journey, parents die thing. But uh, he was super close to his grandfather. They established that when he's a little kid and they're so emotional. And they have this connection. And then you have the hologram and you're like, oh, because Val L, Seg L's grandfather, so Superman's great great grandfather. Um, is kind of the Jor-El of the story, you know, if you want to transpose that. And uh, he he gets, you know, we think he gets executed in the first scene of the show. And then we find out that he had this Fortress of Solitude and Segel finds it and there's this hologram. You're like, oh, that's how they're going to keep him in the show. That's okay. That's cool. Yeah. And then in the season finale, we find out that no Zod met him in the Phantom Zone and gets him back out. I'm like, oh my God, like he's back and now he's a real character. And that's, that's so cool. Like to me, I don't know. It didn't feel cheap to me. I felt very clever, and I like how what a prominent role he played in the show, and and the relationship between him and Segel was was really an anchor point for the whole thing for me. It was now for me as well. I think the like you said, we see a lot of the father son dynamic, and I look, I'm always there for that. But the the grandfather grandson angle is a new little pocket to explore, and and again to have the parallel where we have Kal-El's grandfather tasked with saving him, right? And then his relationship with his own grandfather, it worked great. And again, the, the parallels abound. Like you said, we open with the execution of Val-El because he is, 
he is trying to spread the word <laughs> that they're not alone in the universe and that there's yep, a threat to the, to out the there. council of Krypton who doesn't trust him or doesn't like what he has to say. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, so that old story. And yeah, he's seemingly executed. And then later, like you said, in the finale, we find out he was able to escape to the phantom zone and then Zod is able to retrieve him and, and, and all of that. But, uh, yeah, but then to have, to have Seg discover the fortress and then, uh, receive the guidance of Val-El via hologram, just as Clark later will with, with Jor-El. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice touch. It's, it's funny because how do I put this? Like with Smallville, there were a lot of nods to the future, right? And what was going to come. And look, some of them were kind of cool and we're like, oh, that was, that was neat. And then there were other times where we would roll our eyes a little bit, right? Very much so. (laughs) But I feel like here they, and maybe it was because it was 200 years removed. I don't, I don't know. Or they were just able to strike a more delicate balance where I didn't feel they were so like cutesy or precious with any of these nods. Like anytime there was a reference to something or a character, whatever it was, it, it felt organic to this story. It didn't feel like, Oh, they just threw that in there because they know Superman fans will, will be happy to hear it or see it. No, I felt the same way. And, and you know, we both love Smallville, right? But they, they went to that well far too many times. And I got to remind myself, look, when they started, they didn't know they were going to be 10 years. They thought they might just be one year. So, like, we better get this stuff in now, right? Every last bit. Oh, I see you in a uniform flying. Clark Kent, mild matter reporter, blah, 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 blah. And I'd say, honestly, like, I think 30% of those are great, but 70% of them just, fr- <laughs> just they make me roll my eyes. And you're, none of that is here. And I think they, they, they treat that very delicately. And even when, like, even when you get to hear Zod's insight about, we'll talk about Zod more later, but like his insight into his relationship with Jorel and Superman, I was like, this is fantastic. He was like, he's like, I take no pleasure in being his enemy. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I believe that. Like, that's exactly what he thinks. And, um, what did, so speaking of Superman, a couple things, I had forgotten they used the John Williams theme in this. I was like, add it to the list of let, let's, let's unpack this for a sec. Cause you, yeah, I know I've heard you had this conversation like <laughs> in before another podcast is the John Williams music, the Christopher Reeve Superman theme, or is it the Superman theme and shows like this, and Black Adam, uh, for example, like it kind of says, no, this is the Superman theme. But I mean, where, where are you on that now? Hearing that again here, has that helped move the needle for you? I think it has. I think it has. Because, yes, we have talked about this. And especially when when Henry Cavill made that ill-fated <laughs> Black Adam cameo. <laughs> I'm back, guys. <laughs> guys, I'm back. <laughs> but, no, yeah, we had that exact discussion. My My position has always been it is one of the most iconic pieces of music. It's gorgeous. But it's... It's the Christopher Reeve, Richard Donner theme. And at the same time, though, now seeing it pop up or hearing it pop up in these other instances and, and here in particular, because now you know, the Black Adam thing was, was one piece. But then to kind of have it here, I'm like, yeah, maybe. And it's not like they're it's not like it's in full force. Right. It's just a few notes of it in a couple of places right. where you get the it's mm-hmm, a fanfare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe I, I think it has moved. Me. I think that's a good way of putting it. I think now I do look at it more as. Like it's the Superman theme, even if it's just a little yeah. piece of it. And everything to do with Brendan Routh gets away with it because he is sort of Christopher Reeve Superman. So I think that's its own conversation. Like, well, it was in Superman Returns. So of course it is because <laughs> that's right. that's a sequel to those. Smallville too. Um, Smallville, yeah, Smallville too. But, but it, see, Smallville, like that's kind of its own thing, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so the way it was used here was very much similar to season two of Smallville. Like the that's what I like, the reorchestrations of it. And, and you hear it at very key, like I think it's like two or three times in the pilot. Where you see, when you see the fortress, you see the S, you see the cape, that sort of thing. And then you don't hear it anymore. And I thought to myself, oh, 
was this just like a pilot thing? Like, did they like, oh, because Smallville used it and like, oh, we can't use it anymore. <laughs> Somebody called from upstairs. So you get, it's going to cost you. You're going to keep using that. <laughs> but then in the season finale, when Valel gets out of the fortress, you hear that. Dun, 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 dun. I was like, yeah, yeah, because he's in the cape. He's got the S like, I don't know, like to to me. I and I love the I do love the Man of Steel theme and, and you know, the Superman animated series and the Lois Clark theme. They all have their their role. But I think, you know, theatrically, cinematically moving forward, like include at least the fanfare and mix it in like uh, the way that Michael Giacchino does the Star Trek movies uh, where he keeps kind of the old theme in there and does some new stuff. I think that that's the mix. That's the best way to do it, because then you can kind of have your cake and eat it, too. You know, you can have new stuff because I I love the Danny Elfman Batman theme. We all grew up with it. Right. It's it's the theme for Batman. The animated series talk about mudging the waters there. Um, But I don't know, man, like the the, again, Michael Giacchino is the Batman score. That might be my favorite Batman theme now. I don't know. So I wouldn't want to deprive us of getting more versions. Um, it's just tough. Like, and you know why they go back to it? Because it's like, you know, I thought about that because you would mentioning, oh, they put this in here for that or this or that. And I'm like, yeah, they probably did that because people would gravitate towards that. But I don't know, man. It puts a smile on my face every time I hear it. So I, I wouldn't want to not hear it anymore. So I'm glad it, I'm glad it has evolved past just being in a movie franchise from the 70s and 80s. Perfectly said. Now I, and I, I, I echo that. I think, as long as it's not relied on too much, because like you said, I mean, all these other, like the, again, the Lois and Clark, all the ones that you mentioned, it's like, yeah, I would, I would hate to think of those projects without that. So as long as whatever new project we're talking about gets its own musical identity, but there can be a few notes of it here and there, uh, I'm cool with that. I think that's fair. And I think it's, where where we've landed. I mean, it just, it keeps, mm. it's undeniable. Like, it, keeps, <laughs> it keeps popping up. I, do you think that they're going to use it in Superman Legacy? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. All right. That, that might win me over on that movie. Well, <laughs> I have, well, that's a separate discussion, but I, I, I feel like, and I don't say this in an arrogant way, but I just, I feel like I know exactly what that movie is going to be. And I, I maybe I'm going to be wrong. I don't know. I don't know. But I just, yeah, my prediction is we're going to hear at least something from it. If not, yeah. if not. I would think so thing. too. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I, I follow you. I, I know where you're going with that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I thought, uh, I thought they might just use in the pilot and I, I don't honestly, I don't remember if it's in season two at all. Maybe they drop it. Um, but they kind of wrap that around like this, the, uh, the, the Cape, you know, like, I don't know where you want to go with this next, but like, you want to talk about the Cape as the, the back to the future photo. <laughs> yeah. So we get, again, we get this time traveling Adam strange. Are you an Adam strange fan to any, any degree? No, not at all. I don't care about him whatsoever. Uh, so he didn't move the needle for me at all. Like when he showed up, I'm like, Oh, okay. I think I saw, is he in the DCAU? I think he is. Is he, is he like in an episode of something? You know, he might, he might be in the background. I can't remember him ever having a role. Like, yeah. Cause I'm trying to think like, I was like, Oh no, wait, that's Orion. Like I'm just going through my head of like, who are these humans people that are floating around in space? I, I, I knew who he was just through osmosis of being a DC comic fan, but I have no opinion about him whatsoever. And I thought he was a very weird choice to wedge into the show, but I did end up liking him. Like, like all the things that I could identify, I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to like this. I ended up liking it. And that's, the, that's the sign of a good show right there. Yeah. I think, I think he worked here. Uh, I know, you know, again, reading comments and, and IMDB reviews uh, as I was going, making my way through, uh, you know, people cited the fact that the Zeta beams, right, are only meant to carry him through space, not not time mm-hmm. travel. But it's again, I think that's we, we can we can kind of uh, go along with that. No, I think it works. He is he is a, a, a lesser known figure in the DC universe. So, again, I think that gives a little more flexibility. I mean, this whole idea that he's kind of 
a loser uh, at this point right. in time, right? And he's trying to, it's very little Legends of Tomorrow-esque. Got a little Make bit of those. Making a name for himself. Yeah. Making a name for himself. That's fine. I mean, I don't know. I, I've not read a ton of Adam Strange. There's a really great miniseries called Planet Heist that was early 2000s. That was really good when I read that. But I mean, I'd be hard pressed to tell you, oh, these are his defining characteristics. Eh. So uh, I think he worked. I think he worked just fine here. But yeah, he shows up right with this warning. Did yeah. you? I got to stop you, Anthony, though. Yeah. Did you recognize the actor? Oh, I did look him up, but I uh, no. What if I told you he was in an episode of Smallville? Oh, who was he? <laughs> I had to look it up too. Like I don't know. I didn't just instantly recognize it. He is in Rush when Chloe is making out with that guy in the torch, and Clark walks in. That's yeah, him. That's him. That's one scene making out with Allison Mack there, and then he goes about his way. But I did see he was connected. I did see he was Canadian, <laughs> so that makes sense. <laughs> That was it. Anyway, that makes sense. The Smallville legacy lives on in Krypton. So. Oh, I love it. I love it. So yeah, he shows up again with this warning that Brainiac is is has gone back in time, right? And yeah, he has Superman's cape, and it's it's disintegrating, right? Yeah, it's it's the picture from Back to the Future, right? It's like if time continues on its current course, like you're going to disappear, right? Uh, Jim Nielsen, Martin McFly's brother, Mark McClure. So it is hashtag. It's all connected again. Um, I feel like. I don't know. Like it's, when I'm when I was thinking about the show, it was interesting rewatching it. Like I felt like there was more of this whole like him and his bartender friend and Adam Strange running around trying to fix things, and you see the cape disintegrating. The cape really doesn't. It's it's there, but it really is not the focus of a lot of things up until like the first couple episodes, and then the end. But outside of that, it's just kind of there, which which I guess is good. Like I didn't it's uh, I didn't find myself like I need an update on Superman's cape, but um, it it just. I thought it was odd that he had his cape, and I don't think they ever really explained how he got a hold of that. <laughs> but sure, <laughs> yeah, that is actually I know that's because it's like did Superman give it to him? Did he take it? How did you know? How did he <laughs> come to get this? Well, the the only reason this works is like he is kind of a screw up trying to scramble and make a name for himself and like think but leap uh, leap before you look kind of guy. So that's why he goes in there with false information or like what he thinks is like brainy. He's like, oh, yeah, well, I guess it must have been Zod. I don't know. And that's what, that's what makes it so good when like all this truth is revealed. And Sego's like, well, you thought it was this and now it's that. How am I supposed to believe anything you say? And you're like, yeah, how was he supposed to believe anything you say, Adam Strange? Um, I think and it, we've been talking about how fantastic the show is and how it looks and all that. I think the one area where they kind of cheaped out is – uh, I'd always remembered it as like the quote unquote Adam Strange episode where you get just like two or three flashbacks of where he came from. And instead of having him talk to, I don't know, other actors and alien makeup, because um, uh, Ran Thanagar War, he's talking to people from Ran. Like that's some deep comic knowledge that I picked up along the way somewhere. Um, he's in a hallway <laughs> talking to some voices. I was like, okay, you guys obviously <laughs> ran out of budget. <laughs> So to me, that was the only thing that stuck out of like, you guys ran out of budget is that those scenes of him talking to the people from Ran, I guess. But well, and it's even more egregious because those are his people. It's Sardath and Alana, his wife and father-in-law. And <laughs> and they they're humanoid. So it's like you would have just needed a little costume and makeup. Like it wouldn't have been anything along the lines of what they had to do for Brainiac. I agree. That was mm -hmm. a little that was <laughs> a little awkward. Because I was like, why is he in a hole? What? I don't understand. Like it was just to me, it was even more confusing because I'm like, what what? Why is he here? Why aren't they seeing him face to face? And I was like, okay, all right, I'll give you this. Everything else is so great. I'm going to give you this this one thing show. Um, I, I liked him with the Detroit hat, you know? Planet Detroit. Planet Detroit. And then Planet Houston. Like, I love that. That's a great reference. It's, it's a reference without being a reference, right? Um, Do you want to know um, something? 
That yeah. is that wasn't even what I was thinking. I just it was just a oh. funny line to me. And it's like now, of course, as you say it, of course, it's like obvious, but but they worked. Like that's the thing. Even without me making that connection in my head, mm-hmm. like, I was just there for it. When uh when Rom uh, Una's mom gets assimilated by Brainiac. I thought Superman three, where a woman becomes a cyborg and tendrils start coming out and, and choking Superman, just like they choke Segel. So all, this is how you do references, people. All right, not 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 the way Smallville did it seventy percent of the time. <laughs> and I say this is my favorite show, and I love it so much. <laughs> but this is far superior way to reference this sort of thing. So yeah, and also to your point, I agree. The yes, we know there's the ticking clock, and we got to save Superman and the cape and all of that. But there's so much going on. And I think they do it in a really compelling way where you're really you're really invested in the political intrigue, in the class warfare, in, in just the, the interpersonal dynamics that are going on, uh, which is a testament to the show. And again, th- this whole class idea. So like we said at the beginning, right, Val-El is executed for spouting these crazy ideas about there being life out there in the universe. And right before his execution, the family is stripped of their name. They're no longer House L. They're they're the rankless and the, the sigils ripped off of their clothes. And they live now down below with the with the commoners, uh, as opposed to again the towers above Candor City with all the various guilds uh and, and all of that. So you have that going on. There's the uh the terrorist organization Black Zero, which is trying to uh liberate Krypton from this the 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 rule of theocracy and the voice of Rao. Uh, you have the the Sagittarii. Oh, every time they said that, the Sagittarii <laughs> is that from the comics? Not that I know of. Maybe though. It's My- incredible. I, I love that they came up with this name, and it just it, it just adds so much identity to it, right? Yeah, the Sagittarii, right? Like they're sent down to uh, you know to to kind of weed out uh, the, the rankless and try to find uh, the Black Zero uh, sympathizers among them. And uh, one of them, one of the soldiers, goes too far. And kills one of the one of the rankless, and there's a and again, you know, this was a you know just in terms of the period of time. I mean, really calls to mind a lot of real world issues that we're currently facing about law yeah, enforcement the, and the, all that. police brutality. Like I was like, there, there's a couple lines in here that are like straight out of like ripped from the headlines almost before it even happened, and I was like, wow. Um, but that's the kind of stuff they don't you know they don't dwell. To, you don't feel like we're trying to make a statement here. They're like presenting you with these sci-fi concepts and like letting you take away from what you will. And, and that again, allegory, right? That's, that's a fantastic way to present these things. And, and there's just so much going on that I had totally forgotten. I was even like a, like a component to this, like the, the downtrodden citizens feeling like the police are being unfair to them. And, and that whole dynamic plays throughout the whole season. Really? It does. No, that's the thing. I think they, they made their, they made their points without beating you over the head with it. I think they yes. really struck a very nice balance in all of this. And, Again, there's so much going on. There's, uh, again, we mentioned uh, Lyda Zod, uh, who's one of the Sagittarii, and her mother, Jaina Zod, is the Primus, right? Primus. Yeah, uh, and very, you know, a, a tense relationship between the two of them. Mother's, you know, very, mm-hmm. very hard on on the daughter. Uh, Kryptonians uh, never ask for mercy, and they don't give it. That was... The most like badass scene of the, of the whole thing it really establishes it when because um, because Jaina Zod the daughter is is a an officer in the in the Sagittarii <laughs> that way um, and she challenges her commander to this duel to the death because they're going to go something called the Rankless Initiative they're going to go down there they're going to bust heads and clean shop down there and and they're one of these like macho guys that like wants to just kind of enforce will on these people and she 
you know, we haven't even mentioned yet. There's like a star-crossed lover, Romeo Juliet love triangle going on with Segel and Jane Azad. They're like secret lovers, even though they're Lida. she's she's Lida. Excuse me. That'd be a very Lida. different story. <laughs> yeah, very, di- very different story. Uh, but I'm sorry. Yeah, Lida Azad is, is is the daughter. Excuse me. And um, and her she she's been promised to 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 Dev M, who is another officer in the Sagittarius. Eh? And you're like, oh, well, I guess that's going to be Zod's dad. No, we were wrong. Um, and so in order to kind of, you know, she she sees the injustice of what they're going to do. But she also, you know, has a relationship with Sagel and knows that he lives down there. And she cares about those people because she cares about him. She challenges this guy to death. And do this whole thing about, like, you know, uh, Sagittarius, do not, no mercy is asked for, no mercy is given, right? And it's a brutal fight. All the fights in here are so fantastic. And it's a brutal fight. And... And she gets this guy in a headlock and he's like, Mercy. She's like, No, Mercy. And she snaps his neck. I was like, Whoa, like that's badass. And, you know, Zod's snap, <laughs> neck snapping. <laughs> that's what it's all about, Anthony. So, yeah, it all comes back around. But no, I know, like that. I mean, that fight, it was intense. And when she takes that step, it, to the show's credit, it felt both surprising and inevitable when she, when mm-hmm. she, when she makes that decision. Uh, it was, and, Again, the fact that, like you said, you have this the star-crossed romance between Seg and Lyda. I mean, a romance between an L and a Zod. And as we find out later in the season, <laughs> Seg apparently is Zod's is Drew Zod's father. Yeah, but well, how did that strike you? Surprising yet inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's one of those things where when when. Uh, Druzad shows up, right, and reveals. Oh, that too. I'm trying to remember because you, you were, we were messaging, and you were, and you were talking about your tweet, right, uh, to the actor, and you're like, "Oh, I hope I didn't spoil that he was Zod." And I was like, "No," but as because I, I think I had just gotten past that point, but like I knew, I knew he was a Zod, but I don't think I knew he was the, the Zod. Zod. Like I thought he was going to be her father oh, a, a, initially. So, so at the yeah. end of that episode where he's like, "You're my mother," I was like, "Oh, like again, it was a great." There were a lot of things. Look, the first time Lyda kisses Seg, I was like, whoa, okay. Like when Oh, because it's like a fake arrest. You're like, oh, he's in trouble. You don't know that they're lovers. Right, right, right. Yeah. And even but even before that, when Lyda, you know, is, is training uh, with Jaina and and then at the end of it she addresses her as mother. It's like like there were a lot of cool little bits here where I mean maybe in retrospect mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that was obvious. But as I'm watching it and I was invested, I was like, man, like these are good good little bits. But Reveals, anyway, yeah. when uh when Zod talks about how he never knew who his father was, just that he was some soldier. It's like, well, you figure there's going to be more there, but at the same time, just in terms of DC lore, like I didn't know if they would if they would go that far. Oh. But I'm on well, board. They have a Devin character who I think you're set up to think, "Oh, that's going to be Zod's father." And he's a soldier and he gets lost in the the Candor and that's why they keep the name Zod, et cetera. Right, right. That's the way you play it out. In in the J. Michael Krasinski um books, the Superman Earth One, believe Zod is Jorel's brother. Like they just li- straight up do that. It's been a while since I've read that. Am I correct? Do you recall? I've I've read it fairly recently, but I've already kind of forgot. No, I think you're right though. I think you're right. So there I mean, yeah, I guess we had there is precedent for that familial connection, but no, I I mean, I don't know. I'm on board with this. The, the, the half brothers makes it work for me, you know, uh, that that's like because they were their closest friends. And that was interesting to begin with. They were like brothers. I mean, that's the whole thing on Smallville, right? In season nine with Zod and Jarrell's whole thing. That's why Clark wants to save Zod because that was Jarrell's last request. Um, 
it didn't bother me. Like I thought it was a very dynamic ch- twist and, and, and I had forgotten how early they introduced Zod into the story. Like you see his face as a hologram, like on the third episode. I'm like, they're like, who's this guy? I'm like, yeah, he's, he's somebody new. Don't worry about him. I was like, Oh, that's, that's, that's him. Like the, and they, and knowing, you know, cause I hadn't rewatched it since I watched it the first time, knowing the twist, you go back and you watch the way like Zod treats Segel. You're like, oh, well, yeah, he probably thinks this guy might be his dad. He's like, because he's like killing people who mess with him. He's like, no one touches him except me. And I'm like, oh, because he thinks he's his dad. Right. Uh, and that's just it, that's just so interesting. And it it adds so many dynamics to everything. And, and it just it, and it just ranks up this uh, this whole love triangle between uh, uh, Lyta and then and then Nissa. And I never thought I would be like invest on who Superman's grandma was going to be. <laughs> but I. I am team Nissa. I am team. So. I'm team Nissa as well. I got to say, man. So, uh, so again, when we talk about the, the political intrigue, one of the, uh, one of the higher ups in Kandor city is Darren Vex. You know, he's this political climber and schemer and, uh, always looking out for himself. And, and he has this daughter Nissa, right. And they select Seg to be her, uh, her intended. And, that unfolded in an interesting way too, where initially, and again, maybe I was naive, I fell for Nissa's act, but it seemed like she, you know, she was genuine and she was trying to help Sag and everything. And, you know, she's stuck within this system as well. And then you find out she's scheming with her father and they're ultimately planning this coup to try to overthrow the voice of Rao and take back control uh, of, of Kandor City. And so you see then this manipulative side of her uh, but then as the season continues to progress and they all have to work together, you see, uh, again, a, a yet another side of the character. And you get to the point where, and I know I'm skipping ahead, but when they're mounting their uh, their attack on Brainiac and, and he gives her the key to the fortress, and he's like, just get out of here, get in the skimmer, go to one of the other cities on, on Krypton. Uh, and she ends up sticking around and saving him from the voice of Rao at that at that particular moment, and they share a, like a genuine kiss. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm Team Nissa, man. Uh, maybe it's the the Clark and Chloe shipper in me from back in the day. Like I'm rooting for that relationship that the show doesn't like seem to want you to want. I don't, know. <laughs> but I was, I don't know, man. Like I I was all, I was all on board for that. She went through quite a journey. I think I think Darren. Uh, like I used to think Lionel Luther was the worst father of all time, but Darren Vex is definitely the worst father of all time. He killed her or would have if she had not been a hologram, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we get to this point where, and I know folks, I know we're jumping around a little bit for those who know the show, you know where we're going. And if not, hopefully we are, we are making you more interested and excited <laughs> to go. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, we, can people even understand what we're talking about <laughs> if they haven't seen it? Like, God, it's so dense. Like there's so much going on in these 10 episodes. It, it is. I know there is. I know it really is dense. And again, imagine trying to watch like late at night, <laughs> trying to stay awake. Uh, but no, it's, it, it's good stuff. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and Round Reel in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Take it from an alum of two of them. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam is based in the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. 
They're also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics to see their latest comic pickups and shop adventures. I'm a proud backer of the Paragons of Earth crowdfunder. The creative team of Percival Constantine, Thomas DJ, and Eric Johns have plucked forgotten Golden Age superheroes from the public domain, reinvented them as their own sort of Justice League, and put them up against a Lovecraftian apocalypse. Support this project by going to crowdfunder.com, that's crowdfunder without an E, slash Paragons comic, and read a free sample. Also, Perry, who's been a guest on the show, hosts the Superhero Cinephiles podcast about superheroes in media. Be sure to listen wherever you get podcasts. So again, there's this coup attempt against the voice of Rao, but at this point, uh, the voice has been taken over by one of Brainiac's sentries, and now Darren Vex is trying to curry favor with that entity uh, and has to round up all of the conspirators who are involved with the coup, including his own daughter. And he goes so far as to enter her chamber and fire at her. And again, she's only saved because she f- was able to foresee this and 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 had a hologram in her place. But which which they had established a hologram before. Yes, to be fair, yes, they did trying Very on important. different clothes and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was good. No, you're right though. I mean, it's like, look, Lionel might have made Lex think he was crazy and locked him up in the asylum and subjected him to electroshock therapy to erase his memory and sent women to pretend they were in love with him and all sorts of stuff. But <laughs> he still didn't do that. <laughs> right, he would have never killed Lex. No, uh, that. So, I, I gotta say, this Darren, right? He's such a great villain because he's a weasel. He's just a weasel, and he's like he 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 seems so pathetic, and he is pathetic, but he's also like it's an act, and like it's he's so fantastic. And uh, and I got a big re- rewatching this time. I remember back in the day, I'm like, who's this like TV Russell Crowe they got? Because he got a Russell Crowe look and energy to him. Um, but also like Richard Harris, I thought young Richard Harris is this guy, like it's the vibe I got. I, gladiator, I guess was on my mind when I watched this, but he's just so good. And the way he sits down in the chair with his cape is fantastic. <laughs> like he, he makes it so theatrical. And I think everything to do with them is very Shakespearean, right? Like, like a uh, father, daughter planning coups and military. I don't know. Like I, I, I thought that was fantastic because there's, there's just so many, again, there's so many layers and it's so intriguing and it's like, wow, like little did I know I would care so much about these these characters who I didn't even know existed in the Superman universe until this show. So w- w- good on you, Krypton. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's one of these things where like, yes, he and the daughter right there, these schemers, but we see that this is a society in need of some repair, though you don't get the sense that they're the ones who are really equipped to enact that. But huh. you know, the idea of, cause again, we, we open on this Krypton that has become this theocracy. You've got the voice mm-hmm. of Rao with this golden helmet with the different faces of the various Kryptonian gods and they're making Valel walk the plank. So right from the jump, you feel like, Oh, this is not a great situation here in, in Kandor city. Uh, so, I mean, I guess just kind of at a base level, the idea of a coup to overthrow the voice, it tracks. I mean, again, the fact that it's being led by, by, Darren Vex is, mm-hmm. is is dubious, but it's like you you get you get where he's coming from at least to an extent. Well, he has a whole exchange, but I mean, he gets mixed up with the Zods and, and Jaina Zod, the head of the Sagittarii. Sag- you have to say it as Sagittarii. Sagittarii, let Rao's grace be your shield. <laughs> so the Sagittarii team up in a way because Jaina Zod owes them. So it's all, it's all, it's a lot of intrigue. We're not going to get to all the ins and outs, but, but they have a great scene together where they're all planning this coup and they're so different. They have, they have such different worldviews and, and uh, of course they come into conflict about it. And then Darren tells Jana, he's like, yeah, uh, 
people do things for more than one reason. Sure, I want to be in charge, but at least I'm going to value these people higher than the voice around does. Like, I'm number one. They're number two. Where do you think they are on his list? And I'm like, that's a great point. <laughs> like, the guy, he's making some valid points. So it's, it's hard to argue. And um, do, you, do you want to delve into the the, the voice around? What, what was your... What's your take on this guy? That's one thing that I thought was watching it at the time, right? The actor. Um, Blake, uh, Blake Ritson. Blake Ritson, right. So he's the voice of Rao, but then we also know he's listed as Brainiac. So going into it, right? I remember watching it at the time and there's speculation as you watch, you're like, oh, well, he's Brainiac already and they don't even know it. And that's why he's in the mask, right? That's what everyone you know, watching it at the time was thinking. And it turns out, no, he was just some political guy. And then Brainiac just happens to take him over. And I thought, okay, that's cool too. Um, but I'm, I think that's one thing. Like, I think they, they could have delved more into like what that guy's deal was before he became Brainiac too, right? Dude, same. I had the same thought. Like, that actor is great. And what a voice. I mean, I loved, I, I loved what he did. It's the voice of Rao. It's literally the voice of God. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. But no, I had the and exact same thing. Like, I saw the listing. I saw Brainiac and voice of Rao. So, I, you know, I was going in with exactly what you just said. I was like, oh, he's Brainiac in disguise. And I was pleasantly surprised that wasn't the case. But yeah. I really did want to know, like, who who is this guy? How did he come to be the voice of Rao? Like, what what is his deal? And we didn't get that, uh, but uh, but it was. I mean, it was. It's interesting, right? Like, they start as this theocracy, and then by the end of the season, they're this militaristic society led by mm. Zod, and every all of the rankless have been conscripted uh, to be soldiers. Uh, so you know, you see these Kryptonians just led <laughs> led in these different directions. Uh, <laughs> It's just, I don't know. It was just interesting. You know, just as a side note, one of the, again, one yeah. of the criticisms that I, I, I kind of saw in some of the reviews, people were saying, oh, it's a like Game of Thrones. I know I'm in the minority here. I've never really watched Game of Thrones. Like I watched the first episode and I was like, yeah, okay. It didn't grab me. I know it's hugely popular, but maybe that helped me because I didn't have that comparison mm. as I was watching this. It didn't feel like, oh, they're trying to be Game of Thrones. Like I was just able to buy into what this was. Yeah, no, I'm similar. I watched a little bit of it. Uh, I, a lot of people in my life have read the books and love the show and all that. And I, I'm more of a sci-fi than a fantasy guy. And so I've never really got into Game of Thrones. But I know, like, obviously that's the vibe that we're going for. And even they get some actors, like the Valel actor and I believe the Jaxter actress. They're both on Game of Thrones. And Jaxter actress went on a great acclaim for Ted Lasso a few years later. So <laughs> good for her. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't. That's more of a, a vibe. Like, you can't, like, rip off a vibe. And it's a good vibe, so sure, be inspired by that, right? And, um, and th that's why I go to the Andor comparison now, because there's all this political intrigue, and and it's paced just right. And, like, like I think the pacing of the show is very good, too. Like, because I, I, I'm, in, I'm in a place now where, like, I get... When I was younger, I was like, man, I love this serialized storytelling. Like, episodic TV is so in the past, and... Now that I'm older, I'm like, man, I really miss episodic TV where I can sit and just watch one thing and it's like fulfilling. And and I think this show is a good middle ground because you get episodes like it's called The House of Zod, right? And that episode is about the Zods. Like you get the backstory of Jaina Zod and she had a brother, right? And then her father and how he kind of forged them into the weapons they were. And at the end of that episode, you get the reveal that General Zod is, you know, um, that is the one we know, like who he is. And he's, he's a uh, lightest son from the future. I'm like that. This episode was about the house of Zod. Like, thank you. Like, you know, like, it wasn't just like chapter seven of eight, you know? And, and so a beginning, middle and end, like all these episodes, like 
the stakes raise, they change, like the, the dynamic shift. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I felt like they found a really good balance. I know you're watching like in quick succession, like years after it came out. So I don't know if you got the same vibe as I did, but um, watching back then and watching it now, I was like, this is a very well thought out and paced show. Yeah, no, I mean, even watching it in the compressed time frame that I did, I still had a, a similar take on it. And, you know, speaking of Jane, I mean, like, that's the thing. All of the characters go on an interesting journey over the course of just those those 10 episodes. And Jaina, right, duty-bound, all about honor and what the House of Zod means. But when uh, Lyda is blamed for the murder during the Rankless Initiative, right, they pin it all on her, Jaina compromises her values and her honor to in order to free Lyda. She becomes complicit in this coup attempt against the voice of Rao, but she does it for her daughter, who she has taught never to show any mercy. Yet, you know, she now shows mercy for her and uh, ultimately, again, becomes part of this ragtag bunch who who, who are on the run uh, trying to bring down Brainiac. Uh, and, and even gets to the point when she meets her grandson, <laughs> Jeruzad, yeah. and has that moment with, with, with Sag uh, where she's like, uh, I don't think this guy came back to save Krypton. Like, he came back to rule. Like, she's the one who sees this. Right. And again, this is what I was mentioning earlier, like things you think are plot holes become plot twists and reveals like there's you're thinking to yourself, like, are they going to ask him why he's alive? <laughs> you know, you know, right. And then Jaina sees through it. She's like, so how did you escape Krypton's destruction? Like, where were you? What did they put you in jail for? And he's like, well, I did a coup. I guess it runs in the family, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I guess it does the same thing. But she's the one that sees through that because they're probably the most similar. Right. Her and him. Um, and then poor, uh, Lida gets like caught in the middle and ends up choosing her son. Like what an impossible situation. Like your, your mom is fighting your son from the future, like to the death. Like, do you intervene? Like, what do you do? Who do you side with? And I don't know. It's like, (laughs) he's just radicalized guy who is, who is probably, he's the right guy for the job, but like, like, but you, (laughs) I don't know. Like we don't need that kind of ruler. Right. I mean, it's like if a guy got in a time machine and went back in time to like America in the fifties and changed the courts of things because he didn't like how things turned out. And then, and people respond to him because he's a charismatic guy and now, right. And these, these is, that's what the fun thing about sci-fi and fantasy is. Right. Um, so yeah, he is a very capable leader. You you get why people would fall in line with him and they, they're clearly there's chaos and I need some order. And that's what Zod's all about. But like, and you know, you'll see where it goes in the second season, obviously. Um, but like to have it end on that, like Nero before Zod was like, Oh, he said the thing. <laughs> like he totally was totally earned. They saved it. And that's the, like, that's the thing. I feel like on any other show, it would have been Neil before Zod from the jump. Um, but here there was one moment earlier on where he has to kneel and he's like, I'm not used to being in this position. That's like perfect. Yeah. Like, per- but they held, like the restraint that they showed. Right. And it has more impact when then you get to that. The fi- you know that final scene and he's finally because you almost it. forget that it's a thing you almost forget about it by that point and like oh they brought it back because there is a lot of like lines about like well Zod's kneel to no one right throughout the season right like oh they're sprinkling that's sort of a reference that's sort of a mindset thing but to have him say the famous line is literally the last line of the season that was fantastic and uh, way to go Smallville you know Callum Blue said like in his first episode I think he might have said it to somebody else in the first two or three episodes. <clears throat> Then I think they save it until the, the season finale. It's the last thing he says, right? It's the last thing he says to Clark before Clark uh, stabs himself with the kryptonite and jumps off the, the building and like gives him the like, ha you lost kind of smile. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the same kind of, I, I got to give Smallville some credit too. I know I was talking, <laughs> I was dunking on our favorite show there earlier, but uh, that's, that's great. And, and I don't know, man, like he has just, he has such a, 
Colin Sims is a big guy's intimidating presence. Um, because you've seen how formidable the Sagittarii are, uh, Lyda and Jaina both, and then to see him fight both of them, you know, that just it, it just gives you context of how like formidable this guy is, and and that's what I'm saying, man. I just I just I wish I could see him fight Superman one day, but I guess we never will. <laughs> I know, but no, that's the thing. The you're right. No, that's actually a really good point. The physicality that he has that's something that we have not seen in other Zods. I mean, the, the just the stature that he has uh, on this show. Uh, and I, it works here too, right? Because there's no powers, right? So you don't have that exactly. aspect to play with. So really to just kind of have that size, the size, the voice. I mean, he's, yeah, he's got a great presence. I mean, really, mm-hmm. just really a, a fantastic side. I feel like we haven't talked a ton about Seg. Like he's there. No, the, the main character. The main yeah. character. <laughs> but, but first of all, I got to say, so Cameron Cuff, the actor who plays Seg, a legit comic book fan. Big fan. Yeah. Yeah. Which was very cool. And on the Blu-ray, there's a, one of the special features is the Comic-Con panel that Jeff Johns moderated with Cameron Cuff and a couple of the producers when they were first announcing the show. Side note, at that panel, Johns was talking about how we're going to have these time travelers. You're going to see Adam Strange, Hawkwoman. Oh, so I think that was another, uh, another, another change there. Another change. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, and like like a true comic book fan. Even on that panel, he was talking about Cameron Cuff was talking about Batman comics that he had been reading, and he mentioned three Robins. And Jeff Johns was like, "Oh, there's four Robins," and he was like, "Well, not at this time." And it's like good for you. It's like good for you, Jeff Johns. Yeah, relax. Relax. Be, you know what? It's like for once you actually have someone on one of these shows who who reads the comics, who like actually seems like a genuine fan. It's like you don't have to, to try to make them look stupid. Come on. No, no, absolutely. And and he um he has that that Superman energy to him, right? He's got the look, right? He's got the dark hair and, and I think I, I don't I don't know if it's just because Colin Salmon is so tall. I don't know. I don't know how Cameron because <laughs> I don't know how tall he is. <laughs> but like I don't know if he could have played Superman in anything, but he he's great as like a, a family member of Superman in this. I totally buy him as part of that lineage. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. It's like he I mean, in all honesty, if if he uh, had been cast or ends up getting cast as Superman, I could see it. But yeah, I agree. I feel like he Again, another instance of a great balance where it, he's not a he's not a Kal-El clone, but he still feels, again, part of that family. And I like there's especially at the beginning, there's a bit of a roguish kind of scoundrel aspect to him. He's hustling uh, the Sagittarii uh, for money <laughs> at the bar. You lose you lose a good bit of that, I think, for a big part of the season, because in that first episode, his parents are gunned down by Jaina yeah. in the council chamber. Uh because they've taken, you know, the mother has taken Seg uh, to the fortress and, uh, and and that whole business. But mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, that kind of sort of puts a dampens that, that energy right. of his. But it comes out at, at various points, uh, especially in the finale when he tricks Brainiac uh, into getting uh, in front of the Phantom Zone projector. You get a little bit of that again. So I like I, I like that. I, I enjoyed. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed the performance. I really dug him as, as Seg. Yeah. And. Well, you know, the show gets canceled, so a lot of things are unresolved. Uh, so I'll just say this, like, I know they tried to get him for Christ on Infinite Earth, so it just didn't work out. And I would have loved to have some sort of follow-up or bringing this show into the fold there, because I think that it really deserves it. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's always, it's rewarding to, to have, to see, you know, not that it's a prerequisite to be a fan, 
but it's great that somebody's like so excited about the source material and and the mythology and the universe who's like the lead of the show and yeah like i said we haven't been talking about it much because uh, there's so much going on but he has a journey right i mean he he like you said he's this like kind of devil may care kind of guy and then he gets given this impossible legacy and he has to make all these choices that are like really like, how would you, what would you do in that situation? <laughs> like, like these are impossible choices he has to make. And, and you really feel the weight of his, like, you know, Adam strange at him. Like they have a friction, like kind of go back and forth. And, um, um, he, they think what well, he thinks that Adam strange gave his life to save him. <laughs> and so, so he feels guilty about that. Cause they were on the rocks there. And, uh, I don't like, it's all, it's all just very well done. And like, and he is, I mean, if there's a point of view character, it is him. And, um, and man, man, he gets around too. He's a charming guy. Like he's not only, not only does he conceive Zod presumably in the, in the season finale, then he going to makes out with Nissa when she says him a brain ache. I'm like this guy, man, I know. what a player. <laughs> I know. And they have their, their fetus growing in the, the Genesis chamber, uh, SAG and Nissa. And like you said, I mean, that's like straight out of, I mean, the comics generally, that whole idea, but specifically, and a lot of the language even that we get comes from, uh, from Man mm-hmm. of Steel, right? This idea that this is the only way children are conceived and that they have a predetermined role in society. And of course, you know, that calls to mind Russell Crowe's speech in Man of Steel about, you know, what if a child dared to be something different or aspired to be something right. greater than what society had intended? Uh, so, you know, you have, but, you have all of that. But presumably Zod was conceived biologically. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, you know, that's... <laughs> So that's the one thing, because they talk about how that's their only means of reproduction. But so is it that they've all of the people or most of the people can't can't go through this process naturally? But also, what about the rankless? Yeah, because they're not they don't have Genesis Chamber IDs, I, I, I would assume. Um right? That's you know, what they don't have time to go into all that. I'm sure it could all be explained. <laughs> That's the thing. You're so caught up in all this other stuff. You're not sitting there thinking about, whoa, wait a minute. All right. So I'm sure if you, I'm, I'm, I have faith that they had thought that out on some level on the show because everything else is so well, as well thought out as it is. They don't have the time to go into it, but I'm sure if there was ever a moment where there was time, they would have explained it. But going back to what you were saying about crisis. So again, while I haven't watched season two yet, I do know that it, it is not resolved. And mm. I'm going to, I'm going to pose a dilemma for you. Not unlike the one that seg faces in the show. <laughs> Uh, would you sacrifice the Tom Welling, Erica Durant scene in crisis for closure for Krypton? If it had been, a, I know it was scheduling, but like, let's say it was really a matter <laughs> of like, listen, we can only have one of these scenes. Oh, this is a, this is really impossible. <laughs> uh, save your grandson or save your planet choice here, man. Can I throw a third option in that make it even harder? Yes, please. Yeah. What if so? What if they're like, listen, we have three choices, but only room for one scene. It's Welling and Durant. It's Cameron Cuff, or it's Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher finally putting a little button on the Lois and Clark <sighs> cliffhanger. Man. <laughs> okay, of the three, I'd say Krypton first, Lois and Clark second, and then Smallville third because, as frustrating as a series finale of Smallville might have been, there was closure that was done. Like they. I love the crisis scene, right? I know you've come around to it yourself. Um, it was what a fantastic, exciting time to be a Smallville fan and have those scenes with him and John Cryer. Um, if they had used Lois better, I might have been more excited about the Smallville scene, but she's like a blanket. Like, there's there's nothing. She comes, hey, you made it funny. I'm like, what? And that's, 
I'm glad they're together. There's a, the last image we have of them is holding hands, walking back to the Ken farm. It's fantastic. I love it. I love that that's the last image of those characters. But we didn't need it. It would have been great to get some closure for Lois and Clark, and it certainly would have been great to get some sort of closure for this, as you will see when you finish season two. So that's where I am on it. That's how Maybe I feel, Maybe a hot too. take. I don't know if you expected that answer from me, but... No, I did. I think for that reason, like you said, yeah, I've really made my... More than made my piece with with the Smallville piece in Crisis, but but yeah, it's like, again, that wasn't unfinished business, whereas those other two shows were, and so if there had been an opportunity... You know, the other thing, and I, I know this is going to come up next week with Tyler, because I know he has he has thoughts on this, but I'll pose it to you too. With Krypton, and look, we started in our little cold open talking about Superman and Lois. There, I could see a scenario, I don't think this will actually happen, but but I, you could see a scenario where they connected those two shows in some way. They could exist in the same- Yeah, we don't know what Zod looks like. So nothing, we don't know what Jor-El looks like on Krypton. Right. We don't know what Zod looks like on Superman and Lois. I'm just trying to think of any, is there any overlap? No. So so the message at the very beginning that Segel is leaving, that is not Tyler Hecklin Superman. That's my headcanon now. Um, I like that too. In my in my headcanon, I don't know. I don't even remember if they follow up on that anymore in season two. But I liked how I can just imagine this is part of the, the archives that Jorel gives Kal-El. Like, oh, this is this is my father, and he left you a message, right? I also like how like the show, right off the top, they address its own existence. It addresses its own existence. It's like the story of our family is not how we died, it's how we lived. And I think that head on just confronts like, why are you been talking about this? They're going to blow. We all know it blows up. And, and, and that the show answers that right off the top. I love that. I mean, that's the thing, even in just those opening seconds, when I heard that, I said, okay, I'm, I'm on board with this idea. And it's the other thing too, where whenever we see Krypton, it is usually just in those final moments. Right. So to actually now uh, explain more of, of, how it all came to be. I, again, I think it is a valid, a valid story to tell, but yeah, I think, and again, I really don't think we, we would see this actually happen on the final season of Superman and Lois, but I'll just put it out there in case someone's <laughs> listening. It's like, even if it's, you know, it's the sort of thing in an ideal world, it'd be great if you have Cameron Cuff as a hologram for one scene, just to be like, Hey, by just the way, canonize yeah. It. And I had this crazy adventure and this is how it all turned out. And I just wanted to let you know, <laughs> But or even if there's just like a mention of him in a in something that that Lara is telling, like anything, if there's some way to again, I don't see that happening. But but like we're saying, it could like those two could fit together. I would like that. Yeah, it's it's the, the thing where Smallville won't fit with anything because they went on so long. They established too many things. If Smallville ended in like season four, you'd be like, oh, well, then, yeah, then, you know, uh the Aquaman show, right? Right. You, you can connect certain things, but you can, nothing will connect to Smallville. Like you can, that was the thing about the Supergirl show existing. Like, Oh, maybe you'll be, maybe Tom Welling can come be Superman. I'm like, well, he could be a Superman, but we know that he's not that, that Laura Vanderbilt is, is not Melissa Benoist. Like that's not that universe. So you, you run in those things, but in these, in these smaller, shorter shows, <laughs> you could find a way to connect them. And I, I support that hundred percent. And just to see Colin Salmon, I mean, I know the CW has his number. <laughs> can we, can we see a hologram of General Zod? I know. Oh, man. That would be, you know, two short-lived shows, one canceled on a cliffhanger, to to be able to to marry the two of them together and create. And then it's like, 
you could put them in a box set together. Be yeah. we're, we're setting ourselves up for massive disappointment. No, I know, <laughs> I know. But look, head cannon is a good watch. We, we're like, all right, look, at least they're not going to do it. But look, we, at least we have our head cannon, and they'll probably like throw one scene of, of Zod yeah. where it's like, God damn it, <laughs> flashback. <laughs> Thanks. We didn't need that. You know what we haven't mentioned yet? Doomsday. The show gives us Doomsday, and I know we see him in full force in season two. I haven't. I've seen the clip online, but. Uh, but yeah, they established him as this ancient weapon buried in this stasis chamber. And that's how we 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 were confirmed that, that Zod is the son of Segel. Right. Because they the L's and the Zods, you know, thousands of years ago, like did this science experiment to create this ultimate weapon. And there's this giant door and there's a big seal on it. And it has like the the, the House of El and the House of Zod symbols as one, like kind of combined, right? And they try to blow it up and it doesn't open, but it's established like lots of people cutting their hands and bleeding on things <laughs> like, damn, like Kryptonians really don't care about that. huh? I was going to ask you if if you had to open some sort of blood activated passageway, especially before you knew how much blood was needed, would you just would just a little prick on your finger or would you like slice your hand open because <laughs> he just goes for it? <laughs> I, I guess like it's your exposed flesh, but I, I like pull up my arm, maybe cut my, you know, the, my, my tricep area. I don't know, like somewhere that I'm not, don't need all the time. Like I, my thigh perhaps, like there's better areas to bleed from than your palm of your hand. <laughs> and a seg does that at least twice, maybe three times in this show cuts his hand open like that. And, uh, but they figure out like, Oh, the blood, because it's a whole, that's how he activates the fortress. He bleeds on it. So they see the symbol and Seg's like, Oh, we gotta, we gotta bleed on it. And it and it'll be it'll take both of us because we're House Zod and House L, and they both bleed on it and they open up and then the the one of the weaker parts of the season was like all those people living down there like the ice prince or whatever that was like I was like what is this it's kind of half baked but whatever it's fine um, but the people guarding Doomsday they come and they stop him but then Zod goes Zod Zod and, and Lyda he kind of wins Lyda over to his side and they're gonna like well Seg's not gonna agree to this we gotta do what we gotta do Zod's understand to protect Krypton like they're they go on their own to go release Doomsday. And uh, Zod tells Segel, like, well, I don't need you because I just figured out you're my dad and I'm both. And he bleeds on it by himself and opens the door. And that's kind of where the big reveal is there. But then Doomsday's gone yeah. because Seg beat him to it and moved him to under Kandor because their thinking is, oh, Brainiac's going to take Kandor. He'll take Doomsday. Problem solved. And uh, and I got to say, like, if, if you told me there's a Superman prequel show, <laughs> it was going to have Zod, Brainiac, and Doomsday in it. I would have been like, eh, I don't know, y'all. Like, <laughs> that's a little stuffed. But the reason it works is because one, of course, Zod is there. It's Krypton, right? Him or his family, right? Check. Brainiac taking Kandor, the Bottle Sea Kandor, established continuity. Check. And we know Doomsday was a Kryptonian science experiment. So none of these characters are out of place, right? And I mean, it's the joke about Smallville where he meets all the people before he becomes Superman. Like, th that does not apply because all these things are canonically supposed to be on Krypton around this time. And I think that's why it works. Absolutely. And even with Doomsday, the fact that he was this this ancient uh, experiment born on Krypton right out of the comics, the layer that's that's put on it here is that it was the L's and the Zods who were the ones who made this. But it's like, that's a great addition. That's you know, the fact that they were that they were the ones, uh, you know, who, who were doing that. So, no, I mean, like, it totally works. I know it's funny when we talk about prequels, you know, I mean, I watched all five seasons of Gotham. Similar thing there. It's like I have all these villains running around before you know before bruce becomes batman and it, it just kind of flips it right because normally you have this question is does batman's presence inspire these others but here it's like 
these villains, their presence necessitated the right, like the, the need for Batman, right? Like we had to have a Batman because all these people were running around. So it's like, but here, totally organic. Like you're right. Everyone who's there should be there. Hop in the Supermobile and join us for the spinoff podcast Beyond Metropolis, available exclusively for members of my Patreon community. It's a monthly tour across the DC universe with the signature Digging for Kryptonite style applied to your other DC favorites. Additional Patreon rewards include advanced listens, sponsorships, and more. We offer regular monthly memberships, discounted annual plans, free trials, and a la carte purchases. Visit patreon.com slash anthonydesiato or click the link in the show notes for more. Thank you all. This podcast is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Many of you have already used this code and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Do you know who else shows up in season two? Lobo. I know Lobo. Yeah, that's the one. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't really care about He's too 90s for me. <laughs> so he's too 90s for me. So um, that's when I could have done without because I'm but whatever, right? You'll, you'll see season two when you get there. But uh, I know the posters for season two, it's like a bad day to be a hero. And it's got like Zod, Breaking Gag, Lobo, and um, Doomsday. I'm like, wow, what a, what a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> this sci-fi channel show uh, has it. And, and the way they defeated Brainiac, was that satisfying to you? Yeah. I like, so the, the lead up to that is, is one of my mm-hmm. favorite moments where, you know, Zod, so there's in that finale, there's a lot of back and forth and posturing about what's the best way to try to stop Brainiac. There's a lot of back and forth and all that, but Zod at one point has the idea to try to trade Val L the, in the flesh Val L to, uh, to Brainiac, because in the Phantom Zone, Valel has seen all of these possible futures. So that's new information, new knowledge that he could maybe barter uh, with Brainiac for. Uh, and when he proposes this to Seg, Seg refuses, and he's like, "I'm not. You know, we we can't we can't do that." And it's just like the exchange between them got at that fundamental divide between the two of them. But also, you could totally envision the exact same exchange between Zod and Clark. Right where Zod is like, you wouldn't sacrifice one person to save millions, and it's like, no, you, you know, you, you will. Like I always think back. Did that? Mm-hmm. Well, that did that track for you? I guess first of all. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because I always think back to the end of season two of Supergirl, where they're fighting the Daxamites, right, and they mm-hmm. have to seed the atmosphere with lead, but that means that Monel, who's one of them, has to be banished. Right. And. Clark says to to Kara, like, I, I wouldn't have been strong enough to do that. Like, if I had to send Lois away, like, I wouldn't have been able to. And it was an interesting scene because I think it, it highlights a distinction between the two of them. And I guess a reason why, like, I always gravitate more towards Clark is, I don't know, just the, I don't know, more the, the, the human side. It's like I admire the sacrifice that Kara is willing to make, but right. I don't know. Uh, but just that that exchange between the two of them and, and Zod's disbelief. And you get where both of them are coming from. And like from Zod's perspective, in terms of tactics, strategy, weighing, right? The, the It's like, of course, like, yeah, it makes sense. It's like, you should trade this elderly guy for, you know, for, for everybody. But I just love that between them. Well, that's what's so interesting about his, his intentions. Like it totally tracks, right? Like uh, he was a hero of the people in Krypton, but it's like, I don't, that's why I go back to like, it's like the wrong guy got a time machine, right? I'm so like this, that's this guy, right? Because like, it's like, it, again, like if somebody went back to the fifties or sixties in America or wherever in the world and decided like, I don't like the way a course of events went, I'm going to like reshape the future in my image, literally in my image, we see statues of him <laughs> Zod across the universe later on. And, and at the end of the show. And, 
Which which is Adam is Adam on Earth? <laughs> I was going to ask you. I haven't seen season two. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. But it's, um, but anyway, that's where you see the statue is on. Sometime. It looked um, it, so Adam Strange ends up in one of the bottled cities, and it very much right. looks like Earth. Because I'm like, did you go back to Detroit? I was waiting for like a "Welcome to Detroit" sign or something, but we don't see it. It's, it's um, where was I going with that? Oh yeah, so like, so Zod, right? He 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 he's he's a criminal, right? But he now he has the knowledge of the future and and all these things to so working to his advantage. So he, and he knows history and he knows all these things. So he goes back in time and and yes, he's his greater purpose is to save Krypton, but also he just wants to rule. Like you know, Jaina called it right, and. uh because even with with Brainiac, when he's like, "Look, I'll give him the universe, but as long as he gives Krypton to me, like as we tells Brainiac, leave Krypton to me, and and you can have everything else." And so, like that's that's his ultimate goal. Like he is he is ultimately a villain. Like I see his point of view, but like he's he's like I, like, I keep going back to it. he's the wrong guy to get a time machine, <laughs> and that's what he has here. And it takes all these other characters to at least reel him in, and then ultimately the he wins at the end. I know. Even though they defeat Brainiac, Zod is triumphant. I know what I love when he, when, when Brainiac says like you would, you know, you would sacrifice the rest of the universe for this planet to rule. And he, and Brainiac says like how selfish you people are. <laughs> <laughs> Brainiac, you know, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit more about Brainiac though, before we kind of wrap it over because I, the voice around Brainiac and this whole evolution, the, the episode where he, there's a couple of where he's like, he's taken over the voice around, but he's hiding it. And he's talking to like Una, the little girl. And he's talking about like faith and like, all these interesting things. And it's him as an AI trying to understand this planet and these people. And uh, he's like, Oh, you surprised me. So I'm so rarely surprised. And he, he says that a couple of times throughout the show. And I just, he has a very different presence about him. Like I believe this isn't just some bad guy who happens to be a computer. This is a different way of thinking this guy. And I think that's translated so well through all his conversations, through all these characters, even, even Zod at the end, like you're such a selfish people. <laughs> he tells him, like he said, <laughs> Yeah, and you know when we go, so again, there's this stretch where he's he's possessing the voice of Rao, and then Nissa stabs him in the head with the crystal, and he like, disintegrates, uh, but then or explodes, and then reforms as the as the full fledged Brainiac. I mean, just in the classic, the, the full green. I mean, looks like he stepped right off the comic book page. I know I keep using the word balance, but again, here I feel like their take on Brainiac. He had personality, yet still the cold, calculating essence right you know i just feel like they they nailed it because i guess it could have been you could foresee a scenario where they go too far in one direction or the other like you don't want to make him too over the top you don't want to make him boring yeah no he was entertaining to watch uh regardless of whatever form he was in yeah and uh and thinking about that too like because you're waiting for this like reveal of everybody to figure out that he's that he's brain neck and i loved how they they subverted this because like seg and all them like here's what we're gonna do if we expose him as like an alien in front of everybody, they're going to be like, "Oh no, he's evil! Let's let's throw over the government." So they they have this whole thing where they they kind of they try to assassinate him in front of everybody, but but instead, Brainiac reveals himself as like, "I have transcended," and they're like, "Oh, you're a god!" and they worship <laughs> him. And that makes it even worse. And like they just cut to all the characters, and they're so defeated. Like, well, that was our plan, and it just didn't go. One hundred eighty. That's again so interesting. Like, because it's just like. You thought it was going to go a different way, but you totally buy that it went the way that it did, right? Absolutely. Because if I don't know if you saw somebody floating in fire and like was like, "I'm your god," you'd be like, "Well, I don't know. It, it, it seems that way. <laughs> Does seem like a god right now." I mean, look, we didn't see how the voice of Rao came to came to power in the first place, but 
whatever he did, it wasn't nearly the display of power that that shows here. So whatever he did that got people on board in the first place, right, was less than this. So the fact that they would be taken with with that display is that totally makes sense. Well, when he tells them what they want to hear, he's like, "We're no, the rankless will be ranked," and you just you tell the people what you want to hear. You win the crowd, and you win the planet or the city, as we as we find out. You know, speaking of the other, these are just stray thoughts I'm, I'm having now. Um, earlier on, I don't know if you remember, but like he's like walking the streets, and there's like some like old person in his way, and he starts doing these weird like hand gestures. I'm like, what? what I don't you know. This? I, yeah, I don't know what the hand <laughs> things were. I don't know. It's like, like, was he going to, does he have power? Was he going to heal him? Like, I don't, he's just a guy. I I think that maybe because he was helmeted and you couldn't see his face, like he needed, they needed to have him do something, like something Mm -hmm. more visual, I I guess. And they were like, do stuff with your hands. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Or what sort of ritual he might've been performing. I mean, that's the benefit of ancient alien world. You know, we could just chalk it up to that. And because, because I know of like Rao as their sun god and stuff, but I didn't like. I thought it was interesting. They like, delved into this like politics, religion. Like I don't know, they, they they don't go too deep into it all, but like I they they engage with it in interesting ways in a universe where they hadn't really they hadn't really gone in in such a way in a Superman property in multimedia anyway that I see. And I found that fascinating because you really felt like this was an alien world, right? You felt like it was an alien culture, and that and that makes it more intriguing. It's not just like you know, people wearing different costumes. This is, these are, this is a different, well thought out culture, which makes it a lot more intriguing to kind of, cause you, you become fascinated. You want to know more, right? Absolutely. And I, I feel like it was interesting because the, the way the character spoke, it, it, like they didn't veer too much into kind of colloquialisms that would make you feel like, oh, we're, they're just talking like they're on earth. But they also, it wasn't just, stilted overly formal language like, i felt like i don't mean to keep using this word balance but i feel like they they were able to kind of walk that line where it felt conversational felt natural but it still didn't feel like you were listening to earthlings per se for the most part it is i don't where do, what do you how do you feel about the profanity because i do find it amusing like on Bowser galactica where like they frack and all that stuff like it's that's becoming so that's funny but to hear people on krypton to like shit and ass i was like it's a little odd <laughs> It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's weird because like it's odd on two levels, right? It's odd that they're Kryptonian saying this, but it's also odd because like it's a DC project. It's a Superman mm-hmm. project. You, I mean, I don't know. Although maybe after watching four years of Harley Quinn, maybe it, I shouldn't be so surprised anymore. Just watch some Peacemaker. Okay. Well, that's true too. Now I know. I guess we. I know these recent projects maybe have kind of upended that a bit, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fist bump thing, even early on, like that was a, that was a cool bit when Adam Strange, oh, man. yeah, he's like, oh, you guys not do this here. And then after he leaves, Seg and Kem fist bump each other. I thought that, that was, was good. cool. The, 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 fun, I was like, whatever on the, on the, on the cursor is or whatever. But like the funniest one to me, my reaction was very similar to Jack Sir. Cause Jack Sir, the terrorist leader is sitting down at, uh, across from, from Jaina Zod, the, the primus of the Sagittari and you know, the head of the police. And she's like, so how does it feel that your government has completely betrayed you and thrown you to the wolves? And Jaina's like, pretty shit, actually. And then she just checks her laughs. And I was like, that's a fantastic response. Yeah, I know. Because, <laughs> like, after all that, you're right where I am. And you were trying to get me this whole time. Like, it's just they kind of, they're in the same boat. And it was a very amusing situation. And throwing in Jaxer like that at the end. Uh, gender gender swap for Jaxer. Um, and... We, we saw Jack Sir. This is not the Jack Sir from Man of Steel. No, this is this is not season ten. Clone Lex Luthor or the creator of Cyborg. And, and 
interesting to throw a protege of Val L. So kind of like bringing all these characters together. And, uh, well, you know, you know, Jack's are best everybody from destroying Krypton's moon. So stay tuned for that. Watching Krypton. So, <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> and you had asked about how they ultimately, uh, dispatch Brainiac. No, I thought that was cool. The idea. And you, I, I love this scene of Val and Seg in the fortress and Brainiac and Zod show up and the four mm-hmm. of them sharing the scene together. And, you know, Brainiac approaches uh, Val, and it turns out that's a, uh, a hologram, right? And that allows Seg to activate the Phantom Zone projector. And again, that's where I feel feel like you see a little bit more of that roguishness uh, cool. come back for a minute there. Speaking of the hologram, do you think it was weird when the real Val showed up? He just kind of looked at the hologram and kind of nodded and went away. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> that was like, I'm no longer needed here. Thank you. <laughs> just an interesting moment. <laughs> it was funny. It's like... Again, it makes sense. I mean, how crowded is this fortress of solitude going to be, mm. right? But I know it's like, hey, two heads are better than one. I mean, maybe this is like the yeah, program like, can, could can still help to yourself. Both geniuses, right? Anyway, um, but hey, it's it's the classic Superman outwitting his enemy, right? I mean, that's what Segel does, what Kal-El does best, right? I know that's true. I know it's funny. You saw a lot more of those connection points, those nods to you know to the other projects that I guess I, I don't know, man. I think I was just so, especially watching this for the first time. Like I was yeah. just you know. I was so pulled into it. But no, it's, it's one of these things. It's like, was I expecting a fist fight between them? No, fisticuffs, as I like to say. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, no yeah. George Reeves here, so no fisticuffs. No tough. fisticuffs. But, uh, but no, and especially, you know, earlier in the episode, you have Lyda sends all of the Sagittarii uh, pilots uh, to attack and Brainiac just, just the wave of his hand, and or not even, just looks at them and they all... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and they all, they, they're destroyed. So it's like, I like that too, because it's like, yeah, like in another property, like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to get him. Like we're going to band together and then through the power of friendship, we're going to like, no, you're, you're, you're nothing to him. He's going to just destroy all of you. And that was very realistic. And I was like, damn, he didn't come into play. Yeah. So with power on that level, again, I wouldn't really expect a fight. So I think this outwitting him and, and banishing him to the Phantom Zone, but of course he grabs Seg and pulls mm-hmm. Seg in as well. Uh, at the very end, but you get a nice moment with, uh, between Seg and Val, uh, as Val is trying to pull him back and, mm-hmm. you know, and a call back to earlier conversations about, you know, hoping for a better tomorrow or believing in a better tomorrow. Uh, you know, Seg kind of, uh, tries to impart that to his grandfather who had lost a little bit of that faith. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it ends it's on like a- poetry rhymes, man, because it's what he told him at the beginning. Cause he's like, keep believing in a better tomorrow when he, when he was banished as a kid and now Seg is being banished to the Phantom Zone talking to his grandfather, Reeves, probably, I got, I got, I got emotional about that. I'm like, this is some powerful stuff, man. Like I, I just, I thought that was such a fantastic, uh, emotional through line. And I get no, I'll say it here and no other Superman property have I like bought the whole like hope and better tomorrow thing than this. I, I teared up during that speech that, that yes. Val gave to, that Val gave to Seg about, about hope and the action that's required. Uh, in order to bring that about. So no, man, it, it worked a lot. Of, I mean, mm-hmm. I know we've jumped around a ton in the conversation, but <laughs> we've, we've hit a lot. And I, I, again, I think we've a lot of the characters and the themes and, and again, like you said, it, it's a plot wise, it's dense. There's a lot going on. If we were to sit here and kind of like go beat by beat, we'd be here for, for a long time. Uh, I was going to ask you, you know, you got to always hold on to Smallville, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, Superman. No, always hold on to Krypton. I know I, I did actually cover um, I, and I didn't re-listen to them before I did this because I kind of wanted to come in here fresh after I've rewatched them now and, and, and done this conversation with you I'll go back and re-listen but I, I covered the pilot 
and then the the first season as a whole and the second season as a whole back in the day uh, when I did it because uh, I, I I wanted to cover it. I was so excited and, and interested in it, but I I guess I I missed the I missed the boat there. I should have. <laughs> I should have done week to week back in the day. We could be listening back to those thoughts, but uh, no, I mean, I, I think talking to you here about it now and uh, I don't, there will be no always fun to crypto. <laughs> I think we're going to cover it all, but uh, I, I could though, because I, I love it so much. I, I, you could really sit down here and examine this show. Like it's, it's worth, I mean, we, we talk an hour and a half or more about an episode of Smallville. I could probably talk three hours about these shows because there's there's so much going on and so much intrigue. Like we, we didn't even mention like his bartender friend, really. Um, yeah, um, Cam. Cam? Yeah. Cam, yeah. Like that's another character I was like, is this going to be like an annoying kind of relief guy? But no. He you know, like he you know, was kind of a, an uncle figure to the little girl and he was a valued friend and had his own thing going on here. Him and Adam Strange had a good kind of dynamic there for a while. So like, there's not a weak character or weak actor in this ensemble, and it's fantastic. Oh, that's the thing. And look, it's it's not necessarily comparison, and we don't. Want to put, and we love small. I don't mean to always like because <laughs> I'm thinking of Smallville, but it's like we're even the Arrowverse shows or anything with this. And maybe because it was ten episodes, right? And it's you know it's ten episodes, and it's sci-fi. It's not the CW, so it's like we didn't have to kind of sit through some of those BS subplots that we <laughs> we're, we're, we're well used to in those other shows. All right. I mean, there was a love triangle, but I I really enjoyed that love triangle. Like, I I totally understand. Like, it's funny as the season shifts, like if it goes further, like even though like Seg and Light are still you know hooking up, right? You know, as as, as time goes on, like he's getting closer to Nissa, like to the point where like near the end, like him and Nissa are on the street, and Zod and Lyda find them, and he's like, oh, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just there's a lot of cutaways of 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 Lyda looking at them, like the jealousy. I'm like, well. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Like you kind of betrayed him a couple times, <laughs> so so you get it. Like it's it's like I don't. I'm Team Nissa, right? But I understand. Like I totally see both sides of like that whole. Like I'm not actively like ah like I hate Lyda or whatever. Right? Not not like that kind of stuff. It's just like I just happen to gravitate toward that relationship more. So so I'm really hoping that Nissa turns out to be Superman's grandma. So <laughs> <laughs> I think we did it, man. I think we, I think we covered a lot of stuff there. Like, and again, like, there's so much more there to unpack, and I cannot recommend this show enough to people. Like, it's this great. Just I don't know. Is is it a hidden gem in the Superman multimedia? Or I, I would say, although it's, I mean, it's always hard to it's hard to gauge. I mean, I t- tweeted about this, like, oh, if people watch this, and I got a lot. You know, for me, like, I got a lot of people responding. So there, are, it definitely has its fans, but. I don't know, just at least from people I've spoken to in my circles and whatnot. I mean, I, I think it is, I think it is one of those more under the radar ones. And uh, it's, it's better than it has any right to be really again on paper. Yes. It's this again, sci-fi, uh, you know, 200 years ago, Superman's <laughs> grandpa, we're going to have Brainiac and Zod and Doomsday again, like on paper, like, man, this, this is not going to work. And it does. And it's better. And it has more integrity than, uh, you know, then, then you might expect it to, right? Cause it would be mm. easy to just kind of pepper this with, again, with those cutesy nods to the future, but it really tells its own story. I was so impressed with it. That's a great word for it. Integrity it has a lot of its self, self-respect and integrity. And that, cause it's, it's telling its own story. It's not, it's not concerned going out of its way to be like, Hey, you remember from Superman? Like this is, you know, all this. And, and, and you get caught up in, in this character, like you, you get invested in how these people live. Now you are now invested in the people of Krypton. So now like when it blows up, you're going to feel an, a big loss. 
uh, as opposed to, you know, as much as we love, you know, Marlon Brando and all them, like it was a very sterile, like, like, oh, no big loss with these guys. They're all jerks anyway. You know, <laughs> like, I don't really care. They're all dead. But um, spending time on this planet, you're really going to you're really going to see the, the difference. And uh, when I think about Krypton now, like I'm going to I'm, I'm going to think about small and all that, you know, but I'm definitely this is taking up a big part of my, my headspace when I think back on what what Krypton was like before before it blew up. And, and that's the purpose of this show. And, and they just knocked it out of the park, man. Like I, I talked about the concept. Of, it's kind of when you have the right people behind the scenes, they can make, you know, anything work like Batman Beyond, right? Batman Beyond, you know, the, the team behind Batman, the animated series was tasked with, we want like a, like a teenage Batman and like studio notes. They're always the worst. And then they're like, well, what if we make Bruce Wayne an old guy and we have a guy and he trains him? And like, that could have gone so wrong. But Batman Beyond went, in my opinion, went so right. So it's the same kind of energy where you're presented with this concept, which could really take a left turn at some point and go off the rails. But when you, you treat it with care and respect uh, of the overall mythology of the source material, you can come out with something great. And that's what I feel like Krypton is. That's a great comparison. And I, I guess the last thing I'll say is that I appreciate that we we got to we got to know the people on Krypton. We got to meet a number of individuals, but again, we also got this larger sense of the social hierarchy and everything. But I think it's important to to because I feel like the show made it feel like more of a a real lived in place. Whereas in other stories, especially when you are just kind of looking at their last moments uh, or Superman in the present day you know, learns more backstory or revelations about Krypton. And a lot of times like it can't either they're just this overly cold, sterile race, or, you know, maybe they were nefarious space conqueror. Like, you know, yeah, I feel like sometimes, oversimplified. right. It can be oversimplified painting with the broad brush of like what Krypton was. Uh, so I feel like this shows you more of the nuance of it. And like any world, like our world, they're good, good and bad and people trying and it's messy and it's, it's a mix. Man, I'm just going to be thinking about like if only this was like concurrent with the Superman show and they could do some crossover thing now. Like, some that's what we need. We need a time travel episode of Superman Lois season four where he gets the chance to go back to Krypton <laughs> and it's this Krypton, <laughs> right? How amazing would that be? They have no budget, they don't even have budget <laughs> their their cast. Like, I mean, I, yeah, that would be amazing, but oh man. I don't know, but a little hollow. Oh, you, know, you know what? You know, I just remember though that I did want to share in case you didn't know, uh, Jane Azad. Um, Paradise Island, uh, Themyscarin in uh, Wonder Woman, and oh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, nice! She's one of the the main lieutenants of uh, Hippolyta. So, okay. Hashtag it's all connected, man. This is a nexus of so I'm trying to say of all DC media. It's right here. It's Krypton. I know, but um, it's a gem. You know what, Anthony? You know what else I say? Krypton had its chance. That's what I say. So <laughs> it had its two seasons. <laughs> Well, the sci-fi network, they went full Henry Cavill Superman on uh, time. Well, you know, it's funny though, because again, I haven't watched season two yet. From what I've heard, it is a little bit of a dip from the season one. What do you feel? Remember? I, I'm very eager to rewatch it because I remember I enjoyed it, but I remember at the time, and it might've been just because I had no expectation for season one and it blew me away. And then of course, my, much like us hyping this up nonstop, all the listeners who haven't seen it are like going to expect the greatest thing ever made. And they're going to be like, what are these guys talking about? But uh, no, it is. I, I still recommend it. But I think that might have been the case of like my expectations are very high. And um, and as always, you kind of, oh, where are they going to go? Right. You spend the time speculating and you're like, oh, they did that. OK, I would have done something different, but that's cool, I guess. And it's it's like 
a lot of the status quo changes, you know, as it should, because it's, it's a, you know, a little bit of a, it's not picks up right after this. So, um, I, I, I recall enjoying it, but do remember like thinking when it was over, I think I like season one more, but I'm, I'm going to rewatch season two and look forward to listening to you and Tyler talk about it and, uh, and see, see what I think. But, uh, if the, if there is a dip, it's not like, a it's not some like nosedive of quality. It's like, Oh, okay. And there's some very interesting, they continue to, um, to go into the Superman lore and do some very interesting things with, I don't know how much you know about it, but um, expect more well done incorporation of things from the Superman mythos in season two. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you that to experience it for the first time. All right. No, I appreciate that tease. Yeah, no, that, that's good to know. Cause I hate to be here this episode. Like, this is the best that I come on next week. Like, you know, this thing just really fell apart. <laughs> But the audience is experiencing it with me in in real time. And no, I stand by everything we said. And anyone who hasn't watched at least season one, I I encourage them to. I thank you very much. Look, when we talk Smallville prequels, origin stories, (laughs) pre-origin stories, of course, I think of you and your your love of Smallville. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your insight and rewatching the season. I, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's no small thing. So I appreciate it. Of course, the audience hears the commercial for always hold on to Smallville. But is there anything else that you want to add or tell people about? Oh yeah, I'm I'm a proud patron now of Digging for Kryptonite. So so uh, you'll you'll hear Anthony uh, uh, talking about me and my my podcast uh, every episode here on Digging for Kryptonite. So thank you. And uh, yeah, you know we are in season nine right now, which is one of my favorite seasons, very Krypton and Zod heavy. Uh, so I'm living in that headspace a lot recently. And uh, yeah, and just uh, go check us out over there and talking about you know Smallville, obviously, and then some of our other shows. You know, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, Star Wars. You know, we got. Uh, I, I'm not the host of those shows. I have you know, friends and, and colleagues in podcasting that are doing those, but I pop in and out of, of everything, and we're just having a good time over there. Always holding on to all these shows. Uh, no always holding the Krypton, though, but we do have some Krypton specials, so, so go back in our back catalog and, and find us talking about them. At the, I'm, I'm eager now to go back and listen to what I thought. I do. Rem- I, now, that we, now that it's unlocking more memories, I do remember like we were joking about, like, who are these people's names? I don't even know. Because <laughs> it's... it's they throw all these alien names at you <laughs> in the first episode. And it took me so long to kind of remember them even. And with the and British I, accents, it's like that adds a whole other thing to it as well, where I, there were a few Strange instances. Calls like, Dar- He's like, it's Deron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, it's always a pleasure coming on here talking about this. And thanks for giving me a reason. Cause I had not rewatched it since it aired. So thanks for giving me a reason to, to revisit it. And I, and, and I'm really glad it held up and I'm looking forward to uh, rewatching season two coming up. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Zach. Thank you, audience. I always appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you come back in one week for our discussion of Krypton season two. Until then, as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. Be sure to check out our sister podcast series, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman, an episode by episode breakdown of the classic George Reeves television show available wherever you get podcasts. Please join us on social media, become a patron, and subscribe, rate, and review today. Links are in the show notes. Thank you all.